Welcome back to the informal podcast. We're thrilled to be back after our voicemail pod that we did last week, which was awesome. So thank you to everybody who called in and continue to give us some calls and we'll we'll take them on the air. That was a lot of fun. I'm here as always with my co-host Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm great. It's good to be back. We've been a couple of weeks since we've live potted. Um, there had, I mean, truth be told, there's not a ton going on in sports right now outside of the NBA and NHL playoffs. And NHL playoffs, my team's out, so I'm not watching it. NBA playoffs, you know, wake me up when the Warriors are playing the Bucks, I guess. So other than that, there hadn't been a ton going on, but the voicemail pod was fantastic. I was, I, it's, it was hilarious. It really was. Good job by you putting those together. I know you spent a lot of time editing. Man, yeah, it, it was a... I spent days trying to get those things together. So, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you appreciating that. Um, you don't like the NBA playoffs? See, I didn't watch any NBA all year because I just assumed that, it was, you know, the Warriors are going to win as inevitability. But I thought, okay, I'll watch when the playoffs start. The playoffs are here. I just can't make myself watch it. I don't know, man. I, I like the NBA, but I just can't make myself watch it. I don't know why... I'm finding it so hard to get up for the playoffs. I don't know. I can't you know tell what? You. Maybe, maybe it's because I like soccer so much now, and I'm just in a weird place mentally, but I'm not sure. You know what? I can appreciate you not liking basketball and not feeling forced to watch it. That's huge. That's huge as a sports fan, not to feel like you got to watch every big sporting event and think it comes across the TV. Um, I'm enjoying it. I, I think I, I watch like the – the second half of a lot of games. Um, I think some of the storylines are, are pretty interesting. Um, we can get we can get to some NBA stuff maybe later. We have any time, but while we're while I'm sorry, why we are all here <laughs> is a couple of big games that happened this week, and that is in the Champions League, which pure mayhem happened this week. So I'm going to give you the floor. You're you're the resident soccer analyst, the resident soccer fan here. So talk me through what happened this week. It was incredible. Mayhem is the right word. It was the guy from the Allstate guy from like the commercials on TV. He was there the whole it time. Was. It it was it was great. This is the first Champions League that I've ever watched in my life, right? And I can unequivocally say that it has stepped into a, like a stratosphere of sports events. It, it's top five for me of sports events. And you got you got the Masters, you got Major League Baseball playoffs, and you know I don't know the NCAA tournament, right? And and the Champions League is in there right now with those with those three for me. It's incredible. And I know that every Champions League year is not like this year. All right, apparently it's. I mean, the games we saw this week were unbelievable. It's not going to happen every year, but it's just so its so fun to watch. It's such high drama. It's such high intensity. And we talked about a couple weeks ago about how they play home and away. Like, each game is two games, and that was weird. I love it now. I mean, after watching this week was the second leg. Last week was the first leg. Watching these second legs was unbelievable. You watched both of those games this week, didn't you? I mean, it was incredible. You know, I, I did watch both of the games, kind of. Uh, I... The first game, the Liverpool game, I, I just wasn't. I mean, Barcelona won three nothing. Like, yeah, you, we probably you, need to talk about the first legs before we talk about the second legs, just to set the stage. Right. So, Barcelona won the first game three to nothing at home, and so Liverpool had zero 
away goals, right? It was, like I said, it was right. three to nothing. And right. Barcelona just looked dominant. You know, I'm, I obviously don't know a ton about soccer, but I know enough to, to know that they looked like the better team. And the scoreboard said they were the other team or they were the better team. Um, and so going into this game, I, I honestly didn't have much interest in watching it because I thought it was just going to be kind of a snooze fest that Barcelona was just going to kind of crowd everybody in, you know, on defense and just make sure they don't give up, what, three goals, four goals? How does it work if neither team scores an away goal? What does it go to next? So the away goals is the first tiebreaker if you end up tied. Whoever has the most away goals win, just wins. But if there's no away goals or if the score ends up exactly identical, so if Liverpool were to win 3-0, it goes into 30 minutes of extra time. And then if it's still tied at the end of 30 minutes of extra time, it's penalty kicks. Just like the World Cup when you get gotcha. to the knockout stage of the World okay. Cup. Same thing. It's weird that they have away goals as the only tiebreaker. It's, it's I, also I, we, weird. We talked, we talked about this. Okay, I've got one question. Yep. Why do soccer teams wear jerseys that have nothing to do with their colors? That, that, that's my question. This has been something that's baffled me. Like I've tangentially watched soccer for probably four or five years. This is the first year I've really, you know, dived into it. And it doesn't make sense. It seems like now this is, you know, this is my expert analysis from five thousand miles away. It seems like soccer clubs have a color, right? They have like Manchester United is red, Manchester City is sky blue, Chelsea is royal blue, you know, like Tottenham is navy blue. They have right. a color. And they have, like, their first kit. So they have their home kit. So Tottenham wears white at home with blue shorts. Manchester sure. Manchester United wears red with black. Right. And then if the team they're, if they're on the road and the team they're playing has a similar color scheme, instead of having away jerseys like we have, they just have, like, a second jersey. And it could be anything. So, like, <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you my, my Swansea City fandom example. The first year I started watching Swansea, Swansea wears all white. They wear all white with like black trimming. They're, they're, that's what they wear at home. If the other team was wearing white, the first year I watched Swansea play, I'm trying to remember now, I think they wore their away kit was just black. It was like the inverse of their what they wore at home. It was black with white. The second year I watched them play, their home kit was red. It was completely different. Didn't look anything alike. And I and, think and they, they do don't that. have any red in their color scheme, right? No, no. Well, they're not red. No, they're white and black and like they're little swan is gold sometimes so it's like white black and gold and they just wore red for i I don't know i don't know why and then this year their away kit was like red and black striped and one year it was like a weird they almost look like the seahawks like navy blue and lime green they do it so they can sell more jerseys but it doesn't make sense to me i think it's just a cultural thing like in america you have a home jersey and an away jersey and maybe you have alternates that's not the way they do it over there and i don't know why i don't i have no idea your guess is as good as mine but it's it's a thing that happens yeah, that's it's so they they wear though like in that in that circumstance they would always wear white at home, but when what happens if like they played a team on the road that wear wore black would they still wear their home whites would they wear a red would I, how how would that work? So yes, I think so most of the time. It's like I think it's because the white isn't Swansea's home jersey; it's their first kit, like it's their first jersey. It's the one that they wear, their primary, and they. They would wear it as long as they can. The only time they don't wear it is if the other team is wearing white or a light color. Most of the time, it's I you know, see. It's, okay. it's like anything else in soccer. That's how it works until it doesn't. Right. Okay. 
Sorry for that sidebar. So no, that's anyway, more interesting. you asking <laughs> legitimate questions and me giving half baked responses is what I love this it. podcast is. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to go to sleep tonight thinking that that's the answer, whether that's the answer or not. <laughs> so, okay, as I said, basically, Barcelona did not need to give up four goals. And the only way they lose is if they lose four to nothing. Right. Like if they lose four one, they're still going because right. aggregate is tied, but they have one away goal. If they lose four nothing. They go home and they lost four to nothing. So, like I said, I didn't have this on because I thought it was pretty much over. What happened is I I was watching something else and and flipped to it, and all of a sudden I see this guy deke a corner. That's the first thing I see. Deke a corner, um, basically walk up to the ball, put it down, act like he was going to do something else. Um, you know, I, I don't like call somebody else over or something, and then chip it in and they then score the fourth goal, which seemed gimmicky it was gimmicky but sure. hey to, to, to it was clear incredible that. is what it was it was fantastic right exactly so i you had, you had recorded it and i i told you that told you that you needed to watch it um but man that was that was just talk about craziness and and pure mayhem um so what were your thoughts on that then not only that goal but them coming back from it was on I, i'm really three nothing down it was unbelievable. So last week for the first leg, I, I record all the Champions League games because they come on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I watch them when I get home from work. And last week in the first leg, I don't... You're a swinger. I mean, I'm not. YouTube TV, all the way. YouTube TV, oh, cut nice. the check. yes. C- cut the check. Yes. More more live sports you can record for free. You get local channels. It's great. Cut the check. YouTube TV, uh, send this endorsement. <laughs> right. Um, the first leg in Barcelona... Liverpool, I thought they, I thought they hung with them pretty good for most of the game. I mean, some people were saying I, I listened to a couple of different soccer podcasts and and they were kind of making it out like Liverpool actually played better than Barcelona in that game. I don't think that's true. Liverpool hung with them in Barcelona, one of the best teams in the world. But the the funny thing of it is that Barcelona has Messi and he's incredible and he did Messi things and he scored two goals in the second half that really just put the game away. So I wasn't planning on watching the second leg. I had it recorded, but I wasn't going to watch it until you texted me at, you know, whatever, like 3.45 local time, right about the time that Trent Alexander-Arnold did his corner kick deke, and you just said, are you going to watch the game? And I said, I wasn't really planning on it. Do I need to? And you just said yes, and that was it. So that was my plans for the rest of the night as I came home and I watched the game, and it was unbelievable. I mean, Liverpool What were, like what were your team. thoughts when I said yes? I just like, assumed. What went, with, yeah, what went through your head? So you did it well. You didn't spoil anything. You just made it very clear that it wasn't going to be. So what I thought before you texted me is I just assumed that Barcelona or like Liverpool would come out really hot and going hard and going all out trying to get these four goals that they need. And Messi or Suarez or one of Barcelona's superstars would would poach a goal out of nowhere and it would be one nil. And then at that point, Liverpool's got to score five and it's over. That's what I thought was going to happen. So you texting me that tells me that that didn't happen and that Liverpool at least scored a couple of goals and made it interesting. So now I'm pumped to watch it. So I come home and I turn it on and we bury the lead here. The The other part of this is that Mo Salah, Liverpool's best player, had a con- got a concussion on the weekend in the Premier League. He got crushed. The goalie came out and basically punched him in the back of the head and then he hit his head on the ground when he fell. Concussion, he's out. 
Uh, Roberto Firmino, their striker, their Brazilian striker that has the biggest teeth in the world. Look it up if you don't <laughs> believe me. His teeth are huge. That's true. He's also, he's also out. Guinness so Book Liverpool, World Records. Yep, biggest it's in teeth. there. It's in there. Biggest, Roger big, Rabbit. <laughs> he was also out. So Liverpool, they're like, their main thing is that they have this incredible front three, and two of their front three are not playing in this game. So not only are Liverpool down 3-0 to one of the biggest clubs in the world, two of their best players are out. So that you start from there. And who do they bring on? They bring on the Swiss Jordan Fuller, or Tyler Fullerton, excuse me, the Swiss Tyler Fullerton. Look him up. Shakiri. He looks just like Fullerton. He plays great. Divock Origi, who I'd never heard of until about two weeks ago, comes on. He scores two goals. And they look like a completely different team. I mean, from from kickoff, Liverpool were clearly the better team. And I I mean, I don't understand soccer. It doesn't make sense to me. But there's something intangible about just you can tell if you're watching a soccer game who's the better team. There's something similar in hockey where, like, when you're watching a hockey game, you know who's the better team, not based on, like, it's not like the NFL where you just have, you know, 42 minutes of possession or whatever. And it doesn't have to show up on the scoreboard. But you can tell when you watch who's controlling the pace of play and who's got, who's initiating the attack and stuff like that. And from the beginning of that game, Liverpool was just out for it. I mean, they were going for it and they had the ball, every 50-50 ball they won. It was unbelievable. And also shout out to Liverpool's goalie, um, Allison made a couple of huge saves because Barcelona had their chances and he made a couple of big saves and I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I'm obviously not a soccer analyst, but it was, it was unreal. They came out. They, it was, I think it was what one to nothing at halftime, and then they scored two quick goals to tie it in the second half, make it three nil, and then the the deep goal at the end. So tell me, you said that that was the first thing you saw when Trent Alexander Arnold faked everybody out on that corner. What were you thinking when you watched that? Because I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen very much of anything in soccer before, but. I thought whenever he did it that they were going to call it back for some reason. Like I, it, it he, almost he, looked like the like it was still a dead ball, right? Right. Like I, I thought that like he was just trying to be tricky, but it was a dead ball, and they were going to be like, "No, that doesn't count." Um, and of course, I'm in. I'm thrown into this moment after not not having any you know thing pre that I've seen. So I'm like trying to listen to the announcers. I see, oh wow, the score's four to nothing now. Like this is you know, absolutely insane. Um, and I'm like, they, I, I don't know, you know, sort of what the context is. I thought they were going to bring it back. And then it just, it stood. Um, you know, I, I totally understand what you're saying about how the best team just is obvious in soccer. And, and I, you know, especially even for me, who doesn't know a ton about soccer, I can tell, right? Like you just tell a team that looks more dangerous, looks more, it's like hockey. You can tell which team's in control in a hockey match. Um, hockey match, a hockey game. Most <laughs> times, you got me in soccer lingo. But my question is, like, if if you're so, let's say the the Rockets, right? The Rockets tonight are playing Golden State, or let's let's say Golden State. Golden State Durant goes out, okay, and the Golden State is going to be a lot harder for them to win, you know, without Durant. They they still could, but because they have a, an incredible team. But for the most part, it's going to be hard for them to win. Now, if they went into this game down by like 20, which is exactly what the case was, you know, sort of metaphorically speaking, um, going into this game on, on Tuesday, without Durant, like they're not going to win, you know? No chance. Um, so my question is like, 
it seems like superstars don't matter as much in soccer. You got people coming off the bench that are like your best players. It like seems like the subs come in and score multiple goals. Like that that that's the thing that just seems sort of really odd to me is that super bar, superstars for the for the most part, you know, yes, they score goals, but it doesn't seem like their value is that much more than like the next guy up. Let's let's hammer this out. Like, let's talk through this. This is going to be great podcasting because I hear what you're saying. And in one sense, I agree with you because Swiss Tyler Fullerton comes on and he didn't score a goal. Shakiri was playing right wing in place of Salah. He didn't score a goal, but he, I mean, I don't know if it's because he's a substitute. So he's more willing to like, I guess, do the dirty work. Like he comes back on, on defense and he does... Like, he does stuff that Mo Salah doesn't necessarily need to do because he's a superstar, right? So that's part of it. But at the same time, Shakiri was a superstar on the last team he played for. Like, in soccer, the best players always end up on the same teams. Like, Liverpool has a squad of superstars that they bought from other teams. Shakiri, I think he played at Southampton last year, and he was, like, the best player they've had in a long time. And that because he was the best player they've had in a long time, he ends up at Liverpool. Like, so everybody on the squad is really good when you get to this level. And I don't know if it's just because he hasn't played in a long time. Or I, there's something intangible about it. that made Like, the way they played was different because Salah wasn't there. And I'm not saying that if Mo Salah plays, they lose. I mean, if Mo Salah plays, they might win 6-0, you know, because he's he's liable to score a hat trick. That could happen. But it's like that the, the subs were in and they were playing with a different level of intensity because they had to. And it looked like Barcelona just assumed that Liverpool was going to come out and roll over, and they didn't do it. You know, like Messi, there was a couple of times where Messi had the ball in the box. There was one specific time in the first, like, five or ten minutes where Barcelona had the ball in the box. They had a four-on-two advantage, and Messi gets the ball, like, 15 yards away from goal. And instead of shooting, he kind of, like, takes an extra touch or two and, like, plays it back and gets the ball taken away from him. And they just didn't look like they thought they needed to score. They looked like all they needed to do was see out the 90 minutes and Liverpool was going to roll over and they were going to win. And I guess if you come out like that in soccer, you can't just flip a switch. Like in basketball, like to your example, if the Rockets come out tonight and they, you know, they win the first quarter like 40 to 18 or something, say they're up 22 points in the first quarter, the game's not over. Like Golden State could go on a run and come back and win. It seems like that's harder to do in soccer within a single game. It seems like once a team establishes dominance in a game, it's really hard to get that, I don't want to say momentum, but you know what I'm saying. It's hard to get that yeah. back once another team yeah. takes it from you. No doubt. Um, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and, and that, does, that does make sense. Um, but it's just, it's, so... Tell me, tell me this: with Barcelona giving up those four goals and losing four to nothing, were they, you know, playing a lot of people back, being really conservative, like trying their best just not to let them score? Were they playing sort of straight up, like they did, you know, if it was zero to zero? Obviously, they weren't on the attack, you know, all that much. So, um, as anything that you've heard suggests that they were sort of crunching everybody back to prevent scoring, or were they playing sort of straight up? I, to my knowledge, they played the exact same 11 that they played in Barcelona last week. Um, and this is another interesting wrinkle in soccer is Barcelona won the Spanish League. They locked the Spanish League up like three weeks ago. 
So in their game on the weekend in their domestic league, none of their starters played. They played a completely substitute starting lineup. Like Messi didn't play, Suarez didn't play, none of them played. So they're all rested and, you know, fresh, whereas Liverpool is in like this death match race with Manchester City. So they everybody played. I mean, Salah got hurt in the Premier League because they were had to win on Saturday. But they so Barcelona played the exact same guys. And they to me, I mean to my untrained eye, it looked like they played the same way. It's just Liverpool wanted it more, is what it looked like. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't it. That couldn't have been it. They're playing for the Champions League final, but that's what it looked like. Liverpool was more urgent. They were more dominant from the very beginning through the entire thing. And it I I can't grasp it because I don't know there's not a good corollary in American sports. Like two the same two teams play each other eight days apart, and they look that different. When the team that looked so much better the second time lost two of their best players and the other team had complete rest, like, I don't understand. It doesn't compute in my brain. I don't, I don't, to answer your question, no. I mean, they played the exact same way they did last week. They just couldn't hold the ball. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything against Liverpool. Yeah. So let's talk about Barcelona for a little bit and and just the magnitude of this, collapse okay would you rank this or the falcons giving up that lead to the patriots as a bigger collapse i don't know because i don't have a lot of good context for the the soccer you know i know that the falcons was the biggest that was the biggest blown lead in super bowl history it's the biggest collapse in american football history so i would be inclined to say that that's worse. And not only that, but it, I mean, that one happened within one game. This one was a completely new 90 minutes. It's a completely new game. It happened a week later. But I don't know. I mean, it, this one is bad. And I found out after the fact that apparently, like, this is a thing Barcelona does. Like, they they haven't made they a championship. They it. Right. They, yeah, exactly. Would it... And we're going to talk about the Spurs game in a minute. I have a better comp for you for Spurs than Georgia that we'll get to. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, Barcelona's won, won Champions Leagues, but they haven't won one, I think, in four years maybe. And they haven't won one since um, – I, I, I'm blanking on the game. Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City's manager, he used to manage at Barcelona, and they haven't won since he left. And some people are saying that, you know, Messi, it's kind of like how LeBron has that, that reputation in the United States of like, yeah, he's the best player right now, but he's not, he's never as good as Jordan because he loses in the playoffs sometimes. Like Messi has that same kind of thing going where he doesn't win every single year. So like some people say like he, he disappears, he doesn't come through clutch, which I don't know if that's true. I just started watching soccer like three months ago, but you watched most of that game. Did you see? Did you notice Messi at any point? Like he was completely invisible during that game on Tuesday. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I from everything I've heard, he's the greatest player of all time. But who knows? I mean, I'm not an authority on that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so just just sort of for for context, um, before that second leg, Barcelona was 21 to 25 to advance. So if, if you bet $100, you'd have to bet, what, $25 to make a dollar. Um, and Liverpool was plus 1,200 to advance. So that's actually not as big as I thought it would be, plus 1,200 down 3 nothing. Um, 
So, I, I mean, that, that's that's the thing is, like, we'll, we'll talk about Tottenham here, but, like, Tottenham turned around and did the same thing the next day. So, like, I, and for me and my novice soccer fandom, like, is, I, is this sort of thing that just can happen? Like, leads can be, you know, wiped away pretty quickly if, you know, a team gets hot. Like, is this, you know, I, I – the the one sort of observation I've had on soccer is like if a team decides they want to play really conservative, it's really hard for for teams to score on that team, right? If they just decide, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna be that aggressive unless we have like a clear advantage, we're gonna we're gonna box every everybody in sort of you know and on defense and and make sure that that no good chances happen, you know, scoring can be avoided, and so that that's what shocked me the most is like you go into this game where Barcelona not only didn't have to win, but didn't have to give up four goals. That's crazy that they gave up four goals and didn't score one. You know, it's sort of one of those things where they, it doesn't surprise you that they didn't score because, you know, they were obviously soccer. Sometimes you don't score. Right. A lot of times you don't score. Gosh, how do you give up four goals? It's unbelievable. I, I mean, I just keep saying, we've been talking about this for 25 minutes and that's, what I keep coming back to the, the the last thing I want to say about it, and then we can move on to Tottenham, is that there is some some amount of luck to it too. Because Liverpool, I mean, they pretty much scored on every good chance they have. Like you could see, and that that fourth goal when Trent Alexander Arnold, we should probably kind of walk through it a little bit. He they Liverpool wins a corner. Alexander Arnold, Liverpool's fullback, goes over to take the corner. He puts the ball down like he's about to kick it, and then he kind of walks back towards the field and looks like he's talking to someone. And then he looks up and he sees Divac Origi, the Liverpool striker, standing completely by himself in the box. There's no like the Barcelona players. I don't know if they're yelling at the referee or talking to each other, trying to figure out what they're going to do to defend the corner. They're not paying attention at all. So Trent Alexander Arnold just runs back over the ball. He kicks it into the middle of the box right to Origi, who buries it in the corner of the net, and it's 4-0 in Liverpool advance. You could just as easily have seen Origi kind of scuff that ball a little bit and hook it just wide of the post, like or hit, hook it off the post. It could have happened. There was three or four Barcelona chances where they got good looks, and either Liverpool's goalie made a great save or they hit the post or they just put it over the bar. So there's a, an element of luck to it, too. But like we keep saying, you could tell from the beginning Liverpool is the best team. And I, it, was, it was a great sports viewing experience. If you're out there and you've listened to 25-plus you know, minutes of us talking about soccer, and you, you must really like us if you don't like soccer, if you don't like soccer, just give this a chance. I mean, it was, it was a purely fantastic sports viewing experience. Like forget what sport it was. If you're a sports fan, you would have enjoyed this. It was great. It was, it was really, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it. Now I, to complete clarity here, I, I did fall asleep during a couple of the matches. <laughs> it is a sport where like you, you can go for a while without much excitement and, and, uh, and, you know, you know, it hit the pillow a little bit, but, uh, all right. Well, just to, before we move on, just to accentuate that point on Wednesday after Tottenham, after the Tottenham Ajax game, which was equally exciting and enthralling and unreal. After that game, I went to the Nashville city or Nashville SC, excuse me, Nashville soccer club, our USL minor league soccer team here in Nashville. I went and watched that game and it was 90 minutes of pure boredom. It was terrible. <laughs> the whole thing, beginning to end, 
it was there was nothing going on. They were all standing in the middle of the pitch and they were kicking it back and forth and no one could ever do anything. Nashville lost to Tampa Bay when one of Tampa Bay's guys accidentally kicked it in the goal. I promise he didn't know what he was doing. Like one guy <laughs> knew what he was doing and kicked it at the goalie and Nashville's got a good goal and he saved it. And the other guy was just standing there and it like bounced off his shoulder and went in. Like they didn't, it was completely different. So don't go to your local like USL game, expect it to be enthralling. It won't be, but the champions league is fantastic. Maybe that's why the ticket was $4. I paid $4 and I set four rows off the field. I kid you not. It's the best seat I've ever had. It was in the sound stadium. I could have reached out and touched the dugout. That's how close I was. It was $4. That's why. So the Tottenham Ajax, 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 how do you say it? Ajax. Ajax. We can call him Ajax if you want. Let's call him Ajax. So you you were walking me through this a couple weeks ago. Ajax has a bunch of really good players that are just young. They're, they're, they are about to sell for a lot of money, correct? Correct. So this is the last time this team's going to be together. Next year, team's probably going to be bad. Right? Right. I mean, they'll – yes, yes, for all intents and purposes. At this level, yeah, they're not going to – this is way farther than they've made it in a long time, and they're not going to come close to this far again. Okay, so – they had a one nothing lead on Tottenham, and they scored at Tottenham's. It's not right. White Hart Lane anymore, right? It's they, put uh, they in a just, new stadium. They just got a new stadium, but yeah, they won one nil in London. They had an away okay. goal, so they had an away goal. So basically, they had to either they had to either make sure they won an, an aggregate or not let Tottenham score two goals, and so they scored two. Ajax did. Ajax went up two nothing. A three zero lead. Sound familiar? It, yeah. It, it just ab- absolutely crazy, right? That they would go up three nothing or three two zero three zero aggregate in the first half. Okay. And so I wasn't watching this game either, right? Um, I, I was going to watch if it was at Tottenham because I thought it was at White Hart Lane, and I've been there, but apparently it's not there anymore. So I'd love to. I'd love to hear what they did with White Hart Lane. Um, Apparently and, that new stadium is legit though. When we make our inevitable trip to England, we're going to the new Tottenham Stadium. It's supposed to be fan, like it's supposed to be beautiful. I was hearing somebody talk about um, that they may put an NFL team at that stadium. Are they they're playing games there or something? Yeah, it's like they built it in a way that the NF like a, an American football game won't be super weird in it, like it is in soccer stadiums. Yeah, that'll be cool. So. Then Tottenham comes back. They scored one in the first half, right? Uh, no, no, they no, didn't. Tottenham, they it was 2 0 at halftime. It was 2 0 at halftime. Ajax was up 2 0. And so Tottenham comes back and they score two in the second half to tie it at 2 2. So, which I at that them, point, Ajax, Ajax is still going through when it's tied. They got the right, tiebreaker. Because they have, they have the away goal. And, or, well, no, they're still up 3 2. They're still up 3 aggregate. 2. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, but Tottenham only needed to score one more time. We were talking in the first half, and you you sent me a text that said "R.I.P. Tottenham" because they were down three nothing and and one and one zero on away goals, and it was just it was pretty clear that they were you know they were it's done. Over. And They're so, done. I was like I said, just same thing happened the day before. I was watching something else, turned it on, and saw it was two two, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a free for all for the last 
15 minutes, okay? I think there was like 75 minutes when I turned it on. And it sure was. Tottenham was throwing everything at Ajax. They were, I mean, every time they could put the ball near the box, they were just firing it in there. And that led to some counters, too, for Ajax. So they, they had they a couple of good shots. They had, they had some chances. And Shout out to Tottenham's goalie, too. He made a couple of huge saves. And so about with 88 minutes, okay, with 88 minutes on the clock, I, this is, I hate myself for this. <laughs> I, so whenever I saw it was 2-2 at about 75 minutes, I had to run and do something and so I paused the TV for like 10 minutes and I came back and I pressed play and I watched, watch, watch. And so with 88 minutes on my screen, I thought to myself, I wonder if Tottenham was down to nothing at halftime. So I went to look at my phone, not oh, thinking no. that I had, I had paused the TV and, and I saw that, that Tottenham had scored in the 96 minute, which oh, crushed no. me. So of course I watched it and, and saw what happened. And it was crazy, mostly because these refs put five minutes on the clock, and the game went on for like twenty-two minutes oh, after yeah, they that. Played, they played ninety-nine minutes, but <laughs> which, but I mean, the goal was insane. Like it, the the announcers were like this. This match surely has to be over. They should the the refs. You know, the Ajax was pleading with the refs to call the to blow the whistle and blow the whistle. Yeah. So uh, here's another question I have: Is like, is it just is that that minute mark a suggestion? Like. Is it do that? Are they keeping exact time, or they just decide they get to a point where like, okay, this seems like a good time to not play anymore? Like, how does that work? So the whole like the thing about soccer is the clock never stops. Like, right. So when when the ball goes out or when somebody gets hurt, the referee just keeps up with how much time has elapsed, and at the end they put on extra time. That's where you get the extra time. So at the end of the second half, the referee decided there needed to be five minutes of extra time, but they're not. They won't. Like, the referee won't stop the game in the middle of an attack. So if Tottenham's got the ball, like, around their own box, he won't stop the game, even if it's past the five minutes of extra time. He's not going to blow the whistle until Ajax, like, stops that attack and ends up with the ball or clears it or what have you. So they're not, like, if you just secure possession of the ball and move it into the other team's half, you can you can kick the ball around kind of as long as you want to, as long as you're you look like you're trying to score. They're not going to stop the game. So that's what that was. It, it seemed like they should have stopped the game. There's a lot of chances to stop the game before they actually stop the game. Well, what was but, crazier to me is I think the goal only went in a few seconds after the five minutes, but Tottenham obviously goes into a huge celebration and rolls around on the floor for like three minutes, and then they bring the ball back out. And usually in that scenario where there's a last-minute goal, like the other team kicks it off and they blow the whistle, they let they let Ajax have a couple of minutes to try to score. It was almost 100 minutes before they stopped the game. That was the crazy part to me. Yeah, it, I mean, that's – so they take time, like you said, from, you know, if somebody scores and there's celebration or balls out of bounds, like all that stuff, they add time. Do they continue to add time in extra time? Like – Let's say there's so when when Tottenham scored there was you know a lot of celebration there and and I get it it was close to the end of of um, you know the extra time but do they like continue to count those minutes where it's not in play and add those to the end of the you know the previously stated minute mark? Yes, but they don't add any minutes to the clock. So like when you're watching a game in extra time, it'll say ninety and then like plus five in this case because they added five minutes. 
But if like there's an injury or a substitution or something during the extra time, the referee's keeping up with that, and he'll add another minute or two if he needs to, but they don't put that on the screen. So it'll just keep going, and you don't know as a fan. You don't know when he's going to stop it. So it's like a there's like a suspense factor because every time a ball gets cleared, you don't know if that's the, the final kick of the game. Which right. is interesting and makes it like fun to watch, but at the same time, if you're rooting for the team that's winning, it's got to be infuriating. How fun would it be for like the NFL that you just it says you know hey you've got two minutes left, but that's entirely a suggestion, and like a team goes for it, like has to go for it on fourth down, but they don't know if they've got enough play enough time to kick a field goal or like that. I don't know. That would be a fun little wrinkle, or in be- base. In baseball, if they were just like, all of a sudden, hey, the game's over. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and Well, I mean, in your a football example, it would be like if if you kick the ball off with two minutes left to Tom Brady, it's not that he has two minutes to score. It's that he has the ball, and if he scores, you lose. So it's in one sense, it's almost better because it's a, like it's a meritocracy thing. Like You have to stop the opponent's offense to win. You can't just run the clock out. You can't just bleed the clock out. It's like baseball in that way. In baseball, to win a game, you have to get 27 outs. It doesn't matter like if the if you can't put three hours on the clock, and at three hours, whoever's winning wins. So in that way, I kind of like it, uh, but it's also frustrating because the referee can end the game whenever he wants to, which is you know kind of counterintuitive to everything that we hold dear in American sports. Especially since FIFA is a questionable organization. No, they're not questionable. They're completely corrupt and dirty, and we can have a podcast about that at some point too. But... That's, I'm looking forward to that one. That's beside the point. Anyway, right. what else, what are your other thoughts on this game? I mean, we haven't we talked about that Liverpool game for like 30 minutes. We need to talk about this one too. It was it was equally enthralling. Yeah, so I mean, once Liverpool scored to go up four nothing, I, I didn't really find like Barcelona just they were defeated. They didn't have a lot left. And I so mean, this sorry. One, I mean, yeah, I mean the Tottenham game. Yeah, right. So this one is um this one I thought was a lot more entertaining at the end because you had Tottenham who was, you know, fighting till the literally like their last push to score. Like if, if Tottenham doesn't doesn't score on that last push, like the game's probably over. And so you had them for the last really second half, just full, you know, pedal to the metal, throttle all the way down, just trying to score goals. And just to see that aggression, like that was fun. That made soccer fun, you know, like when you've got guys, you know, just sort of passing it back and forth, and and just sort of, you know, playing bleed. in the middle in the middle of a game, bleeding clock, bleeding clock, like yeah, yeah, that's that's when I take my nap, you know. But like you've got <laughs> when you've got these guys that are just going for gold, it's awesome to watch because you know about every minute or two there's going to be a legitimate opportunity, and. You know, I get that there's a place for defense and there's a, a place for to be conservative, but you know, seems like sports these days are, are going for points, going for goals, going for um, the homer you know, scores, right? So, like, I don't know if there's a way to accelerate soccer to the fact that like it's a, a full on aggressive sport. Like, I don't, it, I, I would love to watch on a smaller field, like. The, these guys like Messi and Suarez and um, Ronaldo play like a five on five match of like, you know, a third of the size of that field where they the final score was like 15 to 13. Like <laughs> to me, to me, that would be a lot of fun. 
Well, if if that was the game, it would be a lot more popular in the United States. But okay, aside, I've got thoughts on the Tottenham Ajax game that we're going to get to before we move on. And aside, I want you right now, no research, hands off the keyboard. Name as many Tottenham Hotspurs as you can. Go. Harry Kane. That's one. He didn't play. He didn't play on Wednesday. He broke his ankle. Name another one. One of them scored a hat trick to go to the Champions League final literally two days ago. I know. I, I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, no. Do you know any more? I don't know any more. Okay. That's great. That's fine. That's fine. Totally fine. The guy, the guy that scored the hat trick's name is Lucas Mora. We need to shout him out. He has been... I think he was a pretty big signing in the offseason. He's a Brazilian winger. But he really hasn't played much because Tottenham, they built this brand-new stadium. They haven't had a lot of like disposable income, I guess, for transfers. Like They basically have the same team they had last year, and they don't have much depth. So like Liverpool, when Salah got hurt, they put in Shakiri, who's not as good as Salah, but he's still really good. Tottenham don't have that luxury. So, All right, they've when, got about a bunch of guys that are as good as Fred. Uh, right. Well, they've got Tottenham has got like eleven really super duper good players, and that's it. Like sit, Manchester City and Liverpool and Barcelona and these other teams, they've got you know twenty really good players. And Tottenham, that would be fine if your eleven players stay healthy, except they have like a bunch of injured players, like Harry Kane, who might be the best striker in the world, tore up his ankle three weeks ago and wasn't playing. So Lucas Mora, who hasn't played much this year because he's one of their few like impact substitutes. He's in this game. The striker who's replacing Harry Kane is uh, Fernando Lorente, who, by the way, used to play for Swansea, Jack Army. Let's go. He He's, like, really old, and he's just big. And we talked about him, I think, a couple weeks ago during when we talked about the Tottenham-Manchester City quarterfinal, maybe. I don't know. It's the last time we talked about soccer. And Tottenham put him in, and he's huge, but he's slow, and, like, Tottenham were trying to play really fast, and hit through balls to him, and he's not fast enough to chase anything down. So he was really ineffective. In this game, he was super effective because Ajax has really small defensive players. So he was just, like, backing into him, you know, like Shaq in 1994. He was backing this guy, this Ajax defender down. And Tottenham were hitting the ball as long as they could right at Lorente's head. He had this poor Ajax defender, like, in his pocket. He would jump up with his huge Spanish forehead, and he would, like, nod it down to Mora or to Son on the other side, and they would be in on goal. So that's how they came, that, that's how they came back. They scored their first two goals. And it's 2-2 two to two really quickly into the second half. And then, it's like you were talking about, the last 30 minutes were just all out. Like, Tottenham knew they had to have one more goal. Ajax knew if they didn't give up another goal, they won. But instead of going super defensive, instead of just throwing all 11 guys in the box and not letting Tottenham score... It was kind of like, I, I, they're all young, like we were talking about earlier. They're all super unexperienced. Unexperienced? Inexperienced. I don't know. It's not a grammar podcast. They, no, most of those guys haven't been there before. Inexperienced. Most of those guys haven't been there before. So Ajax was still trying to score. Like They would win the ball from Tottenham. They would go down to the other end and try to score, which makes it super entertaining. Except that's probably not what you should do if you're trying to win. Like, just kill the clock, you know? Like, put everybody right in front of the goal and, you know, make it hard for Tottenham. That's not really what they did. The byproduct of that is that they had a couple of really good chances, and Hugo Lloris, uh, Tottenham's keeper, made a couple of great saves, and they hit the post a couple of times. Like, Ajax could have put this thing away, but 
that was that was part of the reason that Spurs were able to get that late goal is because Ajax were still going for it. I mean, for whatever reason, they didn't need another goal, but they were really trying to score another goal, which made it a super interesting game to watch, but may not have been the tactically correct thing to do. I don't know. I mean, we can talk about soccer tactics if you want to. I mean, really big, you know, I'm into the tactics of soccer. I would be a great manager, clearly, but uh, sure. I don't think that was the ideal route to go to close this game out. So Tottenham are the Hotspur, right? It's so, the name of the club is Tottenham Hotspurs. They're not, and they are called the Spurs. But I don't know what Hotspur means. It doesn't make sense to me. It's singular, Hotspur. The Tottenham Hots, like yeah, that, I don't understand that. I, I was hoping you could explain that to me. It's another they, weird because, thing, right? Because they call them Spurs, like the Spurs. Right. Right, like it, no, 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 and no, Spurs. no, 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 not the Spurs. You right, don't need Spurs, the, just Spurs. Right, Spurs. Right, like that—that's what gets me. Is you know <laughs> there'd be like and you know Spurs were down two nothing and and Spurs came back. I would be like saying you know Titans, Titans down <laughs> five five. You know, it's like you, uh, we we just don't do stuff like that. So I, I, why don't they call them Hotspur all the time? I don't know. Lots of questions. I, so. But, Let me answer your question with a question. Have you ever wondered why, like, the Atlanta Braves, like, the the Atlanta baseball team has a nickname, and the nickname is the Braves. Have you ever wondered why that's called, like, they call that the nickname? I I don't know why, but it, I think in, like, in soccer, they take it more seriously. Like, the club is called Tottenham Hotspurs, or Tottenham Hotspur, excuse me. Hotspur, singular. But the nickname is Spurs, so so like the man like Swansea, do, do right. they have a nickname? The nickname the, the club is called Swansea City AFC. I don't know what AFC stands for. It's another weird British thing, Welsh actually, because we Swans are from Wales. Spoiler: the club's nickname is the Swans. So like their crest is a swan, and. They're call, like if you were to do the equivalent of calling them Spurs, you would call them Swans, but no one does that. They just call them Swansea. The other thing that's weird is that Swansea has two nicknames. Like some people call them Swans, right? That's the nickname of the club, but the fans are called the Jacks. So I don't, you know, and I don't know how that works. It doesn't make sense to me. Most teams don't go by their nickname. Like you don't right. know, you don't know what Manchester United's nickname is. You don't know what Manchester City's nickname is. I don't know what United's nickname is. I have no idea. I think City are the Blues. Uh, no, Chelsea is the Blues. Chelsea's the Blues. City, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Most most soccer clubs, you don't know what their nickname is because nobody ever calls them that. You just call them what the name of the team is. Uh, Spurs, it just happens to be Spurs. And I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe people in England don't call them Spurs. Maybe we just call them Spurs in America because we know what, you know, we got Spurs. We've got Spurs here. So maybe that's part of it. But Tottenham's kind of a weird case for that. Listen, America America's a great country. America. I like a lot of things they do in, in England. But a lot of things they do, I'm like, maybe it's just because it's different. But I'm like, that's kind of cool. You know? I, uh, yeah. I, I, would, I would love if, you know, we, you know, the Titans were just called Nashville. Like that, that's what they were. They were just But that's Nashville. what the soccer team is. Like, the soccer team is just Nashville SC, and that's it. And I went to a game this week. I paid $4 for really good seats at a game. And I don't know what Nashville's nickname is. I have no idea. When, like, when the student section that has like 35 people in it are doing their cheers, they're just cheering for Nashville. It's cool. I agree with you. 
I told you it sounded like a Seagull High School football game when you sent and, me that video. <laughs> I, so, yeah, there there is, like, a, a cheering section. And I thought during the game, I, I stood behind him for, like, 30 minutes and listened to him do their choreographed cheers with their drums and everything. And the people doing that are 100% being paid by the club. Like, there's no way. <laughs> because there was two guys. Like, so there's there's three or four guys that have drums that bring their drums to the game. And there's two guys in two sections, like one guy in each section, who are leading all the chants. And everyone else is in the section is, like, kind of doing the chants, but not really. Like, it's mostly two guys and the drums. And those, all of those people are definitely being paid by the club. Like, right, but 100%. the... the- the chants aren't like English soccer chants where they're singing or it's like a, a chant that you would hear at a high school football game from the video you sent me. There was a couple that were very clearly like ripped off of English soccer because they used like there was one where they the, the gist of it was if you score a goal, we'll go mental, which no one says mental in Nashville as like crazy. You know, we say we will go crazy. So that was right. clearly stolen from England. But most of them, yeah, it was like being at a high school football game where there's like a small group of people who are super into it, who are doing their chants, and everyone else is there like, I don't really want to be the weirdo who's doing chants at a football game, you know? In 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 Europe, it's cool because there's like 70,000 people that are singing the song or doing the chant. It's awesome. But when it's buy-in. Like, it's all about buy-in. Yeah. It, when everyone around you is 100% bought in, you're going to buy in too. When it's like... And it's going to be sick. It's going to be awesome. When it's two like kind of sweaty guys and some drums <laughs> and like you don't know if everybody else is doing it or not, you're going to do it. You're going to give it like kind of 50% effort. So that was the difference, I guess. But yeah, so I've, you're, I've, you're, I've seen this. it was a high school football game. 100%. It was. I've seen this video before. I, I don't tell me if you've seen it too, but it's this guy at a at like an outdoor concert, like a an amphitheater, and he just starts. He's dancing like crazy <laughs> to this music. Like he's just he's by himself and just looks like absurd, right? Everybody else is just sitting, kind of watching him, like on their on their blankets and stuff, and he's just like going crazy dancing. And all of a sudden, these like two or three people like run up and start dancing with him. Um, and then like more and more people join in and all of a sudden, like the people that aren't dancing are the weird ones, you know, like right. if, if yes. you're just standing watching, you like, man, like you're, you're, you're sticking out. So then everybody else runs and joins cause they don't want to be like left out. So it's like, that's a perfect description of, of this sort of deal where it's like, if, if there's only a couple people doing this, like, eh, buy-in's going to be tough. Right. But like if everybody and their grandmother are hollering for the home team, like you're going to do the same thing and it's going to be sick. You know, like when you can get buy-in on something that has that much outward emotion from everybody, like it's, it's the coolest. It absolutely, you're right. It's, it's mob mentality. Like I'll correlate it back to, to high school football. When we were in high school, like we would go to games as like freshmen and sophomores, but we like felt self-conscious, right. About singing and cheering and stuff. But when you're seniors, and all your friends are the ones doing all the cheers, you're like, I'm in on this. Like, I have to be, because everybody I know is doing it. And then you have so much more fun at the game. So, like, in in Nashville, I think this is the second year of the club, so there's not a lot of buy-in. There's just not. Like, people don't have deep emotional connections to that minor league soccer team. They just don't. Well, people are holding out for the MLS. Like, I don't want to really get involved in this when the MLS is coming next year. Well, And that's why I went to the game, because I wanted to check it out and see what it was like, because I'm really excited about the MLS coming to Nashville. Like, I think it'll be cool if people are into it. Like, if 
if there's, you know, and there's not going to be 70,000 people at a soccer game in Nashville. I mean, we can't get 70,000 people at an American football game in Nashville. I mean, we can't do it. But if there's 10,000 people there who are into it and who love it and who are all about it, then that's going to be like a fun way to spend like a Thursday night, you know, and right. it's not there yet. Maybe it will be when it's MLS and, you know, people have actually heard of some of the players. Maybe it'll be different, but when there's you know, a very small handful that are into it, it's still cool because it's like, hey, those people really are like, you know, doing something they love and enjoy this. But most of the people there are, were just there because it was something to do on a Wednesday night. So how does that going to work from like, is the the USL team just sort of out of luck? Like, how does how does that work that they're adding a MLS team here with the current team that's already here? So the team that's here will be an MLS team next year is the way they're doing it. So like, gotcha. The Nashville club is Nashville SC. Next year, Nashville SC is in the MLS. So it's the same club is basically getting promoted. I would imagine that they're going to have completely new players and staff because I think like when you go up to the MLS, like it's a completely different. I mean, it's kind of like baseball. Like there's no money in the minor leagues. There's a lot of money in the major leagues. It's a different level in soccer but it's like it's like if the sounds all of a sudden got a new stadium and were a major league baseball team right like their payroll would go from like probably less than a million dollars on the whole team to a hundred million dollars and none of those guys who are on the sounds are going to be on the sounds next year you know it's the same kind of thing it's not nearly that wide i don't know what payroll is in mls but i would be surprised like i think cincinnati is that like this year is their first year in MLS and last year they were a USL team. And like, there was a couple of guys who were good enough to play in the MLS that stayed with Cincinnati, but most of it, there's pretty high turnover. It's the same club, all different people. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, all right. Last thing I want to cover on soccer and I want to circle back to what I was sort of talking about earlier about if you made the field smaller and, and scored more goals. So I, I think that, in the world we live in, like you said, especially in America, that would make soccer more popular, right? More goals, more highlights, it's more exciting. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, preserving a game and sort of the defense aspect of it um, and, and just the appreciation that comes with that. Like, like you think about baseball and, you know, I may be, you know, a homer talking about, you know, a, a 1-0 pitcher's duel here, but like I can sit here and appreciate how good, like, good defense and you know game planning and strategy is and I just I don't understand that in soccer I don't understand sort of like the ebbs and flows of you know all right we're gonna kill clock but it's because like it's for good reason you know like this is a part of the game and it's been a part of the game for a hundred years and and this is just you know how how you win like and but I just I don't understand that part of it yet but at the same time I don't want that to change because that's what makes you know, that's, you know, a sport special, you know, when you get start getting games that are, you know, a lot higher scoring or like in baseball or trying to add more runs, like you're just going to, you're, you're going to change the blueprint of the game. So, you know, I, just sort of expanding what I was saying earlier, not that soccer is looking to do that because everybody in, in overseas where it's popular likes the way it's played. Um, and I think that America sort of should take note of that. Absolutely. And before we move on, we have to talk about the Premier League, which what you said is a great transition to what happened in the Premier League this past week because the Man City Man City's one point ahead of Liverpool and I think 
City coming into this week had won 12 consecutive games. Like they were they were 7 points behind Liverpool with, you know, whatever, 12 or 15 games left and they've won 12 consecutive games to this point. They're 1 point ahead. Liverpool's super hot too. They haven't lost a game since like December or something crazy. But Manchester City's game against Leicester on Monday finished 1-0. I watched every minute of that game and it was super exciting because City knew that they had to win. Like they've got to win. Liverpool won on Saturday. So if City, even if they draw, they're now they went from first place to second place and they went from winning right. the title to losing, like to coming in second. So they knew they had to win. Leicester, it doesn't matter. They're not getting relegated and they're not winning the league. So they're, you know, they're going to finish like eight or whatever. But their entire, like, Leicester is not nearly as good as City. So they come out, and their whole game plan is, we're not going to let them win. Like, we're probably not going to win, but we're not going to let them win. And if we finish... Spoilers! If we're going to... If if we finish nil-nil, that is a great day for us. So the entire game was like, how can City crack this, like, riddle that Leicester is putting in front of them? And I watched it for 90 minutes, and it was fantastic. Like, it was fantastic theater because... Like when you have that setup, when you have Leicester who have a bunch of guys in the defensive zone and City's just like going at them, trying to attack them, that opens up counterattacks where Leicester got a couple of great chances on goal just because all of City's guys are like, they're not playing defense at all. They're trying to score. So they opened up the other end. And I I think what you're saying is, is great because the, the more I've watched soccer, the more I've been able to appreciate games like that. And I think you said to me, a, you know, a few weeks back that you woke up early on a Saturday to watch a Tottenham game that finished nil-nil, and it wasn't awful. Like, even if it's not a lot of scoring, there are things going on that you can appreciate. Yeah. So I also saw that, like, Arsenal and Chelsea were playing in, like, the Euro- I don't Europa. Know, some- Europa. League. Europa. Yeah. What is that? I wasn't going to bring it up because I don't understand it. it <laughs> I'll t- I will give you... The way I mean, okay, you ask me legitimate questions, I give you half baked responses. The Europa League is a is it European, for the people that don't make it into the Champions League? Exactly, it's like the NIT, so it's a European competition. All the leagues in Europe are represented. I say that like that's true. A lot of leagues in Europe are represented, like in <laughs> like, like in England, the top four make the Champions League, and then teams five and six make the Europa League. So they still, or I think five, six, and seven, maybe. I think it's the top, you know, three teams get in. But they are still playing in Europe. It's still a European competition. It's still a big deal, but it's nowhere near as big a deal as the Champions League. So, like, I was I was listening to the Two Robbies podcast, which is a soccer podcast from NBC. It's two former um, English soccer players. It's, it, it's interesting. But they were talking about both of these, like the Champions League and the Europa League. And, like, the Champions League, the final this year is in Madrid. Like, I think last year it was in Torino, Italy. Like, it's in London and Berlin. The Europa League final is in Azerbaijan, which apparently is in Europe. I had no idea. I thought Azerbaijan was, like, that's, like, next to India. That's way far away. So that's the difference. It's like how the final four is in, you know, like, L.A. or Dallas or Miami and the NIT well, the NIT is actually in New York, but it'd be like if the NIT was in like Des Moines, Iowa, you know, that kind of thing, or Boise, Idaho, or something. Right, right. Don't ask me about the Europa League. I have no idea. Chelsea won on a penalty shootout against a team I'd never heard of. Good for you. Now they're playing Arsenal. 
say classic, right? Like, <laughs> of course. Um, we just did an hour on soccer. I love it. Well, I, one more thing before we move on. As part of that 1-0 Man City win in the Premier League, Vincent Company hit an absolute thunderbolt from like 35 yards away for Chelsea or for Chelsea the captain right yeah the captain company he's like a 85 year old center back who hasn't been playing very much they put him in and he hit a wonder strike from like 35 yards out for for City's goal that was incredible because Leicester I, I wanted to say this on the pod I was really impressed with the way Leicester played Leicester won the title a few years ago and they still got a lot of those same players and they're not as good as as City but Leicester played well. They impressed me as much as you can getting beat one to nothing. But company's shot, if you hadn't seen it, look it up. It was unbelievable. I looked down. I looked down on my phone or walked out of the room or something for a second. And I was not expecting – like, it didn't look like they were going to score. Like, he he's a center back, and he came from half, half field, midfield, half of the pitch. I don't know what you call it. He just walked into, like, a 35-yarder, and Leicester was like, sure, like, shoot that shot. It would be like – it would be like if – I'm, I'm trying to think of a big center in the NBA who can't shoot. I'm going to use Shaq again. It's the second Shaq ref on the pod. It would be like if Shaq <laughs> like, brought the ball up and just walked into like a 40-footer. Steph curried it. Steph curried it. And whoever they were playing is like, yeah, Shaq, shoot the 40-footer. Go for it. And he just buried it and walked back on the other end, and they won. And it was – I mean, shout out to Vincent Company. You, you've been – your career has been illustrious, but now you have the informal podcast stamp of approval. Good job by you, buddy. Great job. So the City and Liverpool both play Saturday morning. Everybody plays Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, sorry. It's that's a cool thing that the Premier League does is all ten games are Sunday morning at the same time. Um, if City win against Brighton, I think, who's like sixteenth. Really bad. If Brighton win against or if City win against Brighton, they win the league. Um, Liverpool play Wolves, who are mid table. They're seventh or eighth. They're good. If Liverpool win and City drop any points, tie or lose, then Liverpool will win the league. But City's like six to one favorites to beat Brighton. It's pretty much over. That goal by Company pretty much sealed the title. That's crazy. But Brighton could always just go in and. Um, you never know. That's why they play the games. Stack I'm gonna, the box. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm the, the games are gonna be on while I'm at church. I'm gonna record uh, the city game at least and and watch it. Um, I kind of if you know if we're doing predictions, I kind of think City's gonna gonna win and Liverpool's gonna draw against Wolves because Wolves are good and I think Liverpool are gonna have a little bit of a come down from the Barcelona game. But you never know what's gonna happen. We've seen a couple of crazy soccer matches that we spent an hour talking about um, just this past right. week. So anything could happen. I mean. I mean, like we were talking about, Liverpool was what twelve to one, you know, to to win, and and they they won. So, I mean, like you said, crazy things have happened. All right, the let's talk about the Derby. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we got to yeah. talk about the Derby. So I don't I don't know I don't know much about horse racing, Nothing but at all. I watch the Derby every year, and like I always watch like the prelims and all that stuff. Like just throw it on the TV and go do whatever I'm doing, and um, just sort of have one eye on it, and. Like it's so much fun to watch. Like I, 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 I get that they made it into like this TV spectacle, but like especially that those two minutes around the track. Like every year when I get done watching that, like I think, man, that was that was a lot of fun. And so, maximum security won, but then he didn't win because they went into a thirty-three minute delay where they looked and he got 
put in the box for interference. <laughs> he got DQ'd. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, me- <laughs> five minute game misconduct out of the game, um, and Country House wins sixty five to, to one. Sixty five yeah. to one, Country House wins, Who? and they, exactly. I mean, it's insane that I. I don't know what what were your thoughts rolling through your head whenever. You, I don't, you weren't watching it, were you? Let me give you my, my derby experience. So on Saturday, um, I was watching a little bit of the golf tournament, which we're going to talk about next. I was watching the Liverpool Premier League game against um, Newcastle, I believe, which was also a great game in its own right. Liverpool scored the, scored the winner with like five minutes left. I was watching that on Saturday afternoon. Um, there was baseball on. I was not like I kept flipping back to the horse race because – they do that thing where they're like, Kentucky Derby starts at 2 o'clock, and the race is actually at 5.30. So I kept flipping over, and they were just like walking around, you know, like showing Von Miller in his fancy burgundy suit and showing all these other, you know, Tom Brady's there. And it's basically a fashion show is what it is. So I kept flipping over, watch it for a second, then I'd flip it back to real sports that were going on. And then we went over to some friend's house for dinner, and we just happened to leave at like 5.15, and the race starts at 5.30. So I turn it on the radio, and I listened to a horse race on the radio, and I heard that, <laughs> which is you know sad in its what own station, right. What station? What station had the horse race? It was just on the regular sports channel, and it was cool. Wow. Like it was cool. Um, you know, we were texting back and forth, and I gave you a couple of my picks, and you gave me a couple of yours, and I picked maximum security, and I was honking the horn going down the interstate when maximum security won. It was great. And after he won, I turned the radio to something different. Because Where were you going to dinner? We were going over to some friend's house to eat. So that on the interstate. Yeah. Well, I, well, look, I live in the booming metropolis of Murfreesboro where I can get on the interstate and drive eight miles and I'm still in Murfreesboro at some friend's house. So, you know, come at me, whatever. <laughs> I was on the interstate <laughs> listening to a horse race and I listened to it for two minutes and it was super exciting. And then I turned it off and I turned it back to the Braves or whatever else was on. And then we went and we had dinner with some friends and we were over there for the rest of the night and we didn't talk about horse racing one time because it's horse racing. And then you texted me. <laughs> I don't remember if you texted me Saturday night or Sunday morning, and you said something about how maximum security got DQ'd, and that was the first I'd heard of it. I had no idea. It was like, I think it was Saturday night. It was like four hours after the race, and I had no idea this happened. So that's my perspective on it. No clue. Yeah, I I didn't either. I was, I was watching at this, um, this restaurant here in Florida, and whenever the maximum security won, we left. And so one of my buddies said, oh, I think something happened in the race. And so I like got on Twitter and checked it out. And yeah, DQ'd him, sent him off, red carded him. It's just crazy to me. Like, it, I mean, it's a race, right? You just run. Like if, if you know, we got 22 people and ran down the street, somebody would get in somebody's way at some point. Like it's just part of it, right? Like you're not setting screens. You're just running. This is how this goes. Um, if we're running a race and I'm winning the whole time and then you're coming up on my right side at the end, I'm blocking you out, my, my guy. Like, I'm sorry. Rubin's racing. I'm cutting you off. You're not getting around me. We'll both go down. I don't care. Apparently not exactly. horse racing. I don't get it. All right, can we talk about golf now? <laughs> I got like a, th- a thousand more horse racing points to get to. All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have anything else. I guess if, I guess it's illegal because if horses fall down, you have to shoot them in the head and kill them. I guess that's how that works. I don't know. Oh because, no! Do you don't remember? Say that. Do you remember during the Kentucky? No, <laughs> no. 
Got sea biscuit. <laughs> I think I think the horse's name was Big Brown, and he won the first two races of the Triple Crown. Then he broke his leg in the third one. They had to put him down. Like, why can't horses have a broken leg and recover? That why was is that his not? name. Big yeah. Brown. Why do you have to kill horses when they break their legs? Like, just put them in a cast. I don't understand. That's why, though, because when horses break their legs, you have to put them down. I don't, I yeah. don't get it, but that's why. I heard Mike sure. Tirico say it, so it must be true. Sure. Yeah, it has to be true. <laughs> okay, so Max Homa won this past weekend at Quill Hollow for his first PGA Tour win. And you may be asking, why are we talking about Max Homa? But it turns out Max Homa is one of, if not my favorite golfer in the entire world. Look so, out, Sam, Rory McIlroy. Sam, do you know anything about Max Homa? I had never heard of Max Homa until I checked the leaderboard on like Friday or whenever. Apparently, right. he sucks, right? Like he's not good at golf. Is that right. do I have an accurate read on that? He he used to be not good at golf. So okay. here here's here's my relationship with Max Homa. So I I listened to this this golf podcast called No Laying Up, quality podcast. Max Homa came on their podcast last year sometime, and he's talked about his. Sh- golfing struggles so he was um i I think he won the ncaa individual championship and also the pac-12 championship and he was the first golfer to do that since tiger woods so i mean like pretty good uh, that's that's pretty good right there um and so he went on the web.com tour out of college um got his tour card and so in 2017 i think he it was his first year on the PGA Tour, right? And he missed 15 out of 17 cuts. He made two cuts the entire season on the PGA Tour. At the end of the year, guess how many FedEx Cup points he had that year? I listened to the No Laying Up after the tournament podcast with Max Homa, so I know how many. He had three. He had three. He had three FedEx Cup uh, FedEx Cup points what does that mean what is the fedex cup this is my turn to ask you legitimate questions and you to give me half-baked answers i like golf i watch golf what on earth is the fedex cup that's not a tournament they don't play for the fedex like they don't play the fedex cup what is the fedex cup i don't get it so the fedex cup is the pga tours season-long race like if you win the fedex cup you essentially win like the premier league and so how, how this works is you get points for each event so events like the world golf championship and you you have all those players get guaranteed points and if you make a cut you get points and so like if you win an event i think you get something like 600 points or 500 is every, points is every event the same no, some events are weighted weighted more than others. Okay, all right. Um, and so if you win an event, you get a lot of points. Obviously, the lower you finish, the less points you get. You add them all up. And so then the top 120 or 25 players make it into the PGA Tour or the FedEx Cup playoffs. So there's four FedEx Cup playoff events. There's gosh, I can't, I, I don't, it starts off with like 120, then it goes down to 100, then it goes down to like top 70 or something, and then 
the last 30, the the last 30 that are left. So, like, you accumulate more points through the, the FedEx Cup playoffs and the last 30 that are left playing the Tour Championship, which is in Atlanta, which is a tournament that Tiger won last year. Right. And, but it doesn't – even if you win that tournament doesn't mean you win the FedEx Cup because if somebody has more points than you, then, you know – Obviously, that tournament's weighted more than any other tournament. So most of the time, that's the case. Like last year, Tiger didn't play in enough events or finish high enough where he, he actually finished second. Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup. Right. So, I remember that. So, like, Tiger won yeah. the tournament, and everybody's talking to Tiger. Meanwhile, Justin Rose is over here with the huge trophy. Right. And if you win the FedEx Cup, you get, like, $10 million. It's a lot of money. So At all? Wow. Right. Like, same amount Phil won beating Tiger. So. <laughs> Um, there you go. So that's the FedEx Cup. So Max Homa had three FedEx Cup points, which is like three more than me, which is not that many. And he basically would go out and shoot like 80-82. Like he was playing with Tiger Woods, and he was super like embarrassed and shamed about how he was playing. He couldn't drive the ball. He couldn't get off the tee. And there were some weeks that he would get off the tee, and he would lead the tour or lead the tournament in driving, you know, shots compared to the field shots to the field but he would still miss the cut so he's like if i'm the best at what i'm the worst at and still miss the cut like what am i doing but he said he woke up what he would do is he would go out on thursday he'd shoot a million and he'd go and grind at the range and then he'd wake up friday and shoot a million and go grind at the range and then go up saturday and miss the cut and then saturday and sunday grind at the range and he pretty much said like every day he was waking up and saying Today's the day I figure this out. Today's the day I, you know, figure my game out and it all clicks. Like each day he was, you know, playing so miserably, but he had such a positive outlook. He's like, I'm going to get back. This is going to work for me. I'm going to, you know, compete and be good again. And so obviously he went back to the Fed or to the, um, to the web.com tour because he missed 15 out of 17 cuts. And last year in the web.com tour, he had to birdie the last, four holes to get into a playoff to even go to the the web.com playoffs and so to get to the you know to get to the web.com playoffs means that you have a chance to get your pga tour card so he had to basically birdie the last four holes to have a chance of getting his tour card and he did it and that's like i mean i get it they're really good but that's really hard to do is birdie four holes in a row with that much on the line and so he plays on the PGA Tour this year. Obviously, he doesn't play in a ton of tournaments because of how it's weighted. Not everybody gets into every tournament. Um, and so he plays in this tournament and, and ends up winning the whole thing. And if you just, like, go listen to that podcast or follow him on Twitter. He's hilarious. He's great. He's really funny to listen to. And he's just super real, which is really refreshing. Um but it's just cool to see, like, that guy, this guy's life legitimately was changed because of he wins this tournament. He gets exempt for the rest of this season on the PGA Tour, plus the next two years on the PGA Tour. So, like, this is a guy that was worried about job security and money for the last, you know, three or four years. Now he just won, what, like 1.6 or whatever, and he's exempt for the next two and a half years. Which that means and, he gets to play in every tournament, right? Right. He can play in every tournament. And he gets into the Masters and, you know, they were asking him, you know, how much pressure. And he was like, yeah, I was so freaking nervous. 
But at the same time, like I had to birdie the last four holes to even have a chance of getting my tour card. Like I've, I've had to, you know, hit a lot more pressure shots with a lot more on the line, like my job security. And so like, if I win this tournament, make 1.5 or if I finish second and make 800 K, like really, does that really matter all that much? You know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm, you know, it's still an incredible week. So, um, you know, he, his shot off the 18 T he, you know, club twirled the heck out of it. It was, I don't know. I, I was just, that was, that was the perfect thing for me for that tournament. Super cool. Um, so yeah, I loved it. The golf has been really good this year. The, the golf, golf has been great this year. The I, golf. I listened to the, the no laying, no laying up podcast after the tournament with Max Homa. That was the first time I'd ever heard him talk. And he, I mean, it was super cool to listen to because it was obvious. Like, for that guy being on a podcast in general, like anyone wanting to talk to him is so out of the ordinary. Like he was super pumped about being there and talking to them. And like, it's obvious, like they have like a back and forth. Like usually when you hear an athlete or a famous person do an interview, they're doing it because somebody told them they had to. And like, maybe they're good and maybe they're engaging or whatever, but you can tell they don't really want to be doing what they're doing. He obviously was like appreciating the opportunity to talk about his story. And it was really cool the thing that stood out with me the most is he was talking about how the guy who came in second or third, I think, I don't remember his name. Who was the dude that was wearing the bucket hat? What was his name? Um, gosh, I, I, Damon. I can see his face. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Some other guy who has a, like a similar story, like another guy who's not good in terms of like one of the best golfers in the world, like good enough to be on the tour, but he's not, he's never won a tournament before. Homa and this guy are like good friends. They, you know, they hang out, they play golf together when they're not actually playing golf for a living or whatever. And that guy who came in second texted Homa on Monday. I was like, congratulations, man. I'm really glad you won, but I'm also super rich now because he came in second and made like $800,000. Like, right. It, it, to correlate it to something that we're more familiar with, it's like how in, you know, in, in baseball, everybody cares about the major leagues, but pretty much everybody in the major leagues has, made enough money to be set for life where people in the minor leagues, like that's real pressure. You know, you're playing to be able to continue playing baseball and the major leagues, you have pressure because everybody cares a lot more. And like, there's a lot more people watching, but when you're playing for your job, that's real pressure. You know, in the major leagues, if you, you know, strike out in the world series, you struck out in the world series and you didn't win the world series, but you're still a major league player who was playing in the world series. You know, that's still, you're still at the pinnacle of your profession. But, like, with this guy, he's on the web.com tour, and if he doesn't play well, he's got to go, like, finish his accounting degree or whatever and get a real job. And it's, right. it's different pressure. It's pressure that not as many people care about, but if you, like, take the time to listen to these people talk, there's a lot, there's a lot of human interest stories in there. And it was cool, you know, whatever that podcast was, like, 90 minutes or whatever it was, and it was really entertaining to listen to a guy I'd never heard of talk. It's a different did perspective. You, did you go listen to the, the podcast from him from a couple of months ago? I didn't hear the whole thing. The the Their Twitter account tweeted out a couple of clips, and I heard, like, the yeah. highlights of when he was talking about how um, he would, like, just spend all his time on the range and he'd go out and shoot an 85, and then he'd spend the next day on the range and go out and shoot another 85. Like, it was – I heard some clips. I didn't hear the whole thing. So I'll, I'll tell a quick story that he told on that one. It's, it's super funny. But so he went to play this tournament in the Bahamas, and – he was like, I need a, I need a caddy to, to come um, to the Bahamas. So he, like, he legitimately he tweeted out, like, 
to everybody. He's like, hey, I need a caddy in the Bahamas. If anybody wants to come, like, I'll pay for your airfare. And, you know, people, you know, get to him, then it never really worked out. And somebody asked, you know, like, do I get food and like, like food money as well? And he's like, you're going to eat anyways. Like, do I really need (laughs) to give you food money? But nobody could end up making it. And so he just had to like find, he found this guy at the airport and his name was Rudy and he got him to caddy and Rudy literally did not know anything about golf. Like he said that. He got to the course and he asked Max, like, how do you know which one of these clubs goes further? Like, that's, <laughs> this, that's, that's who's caddying for him. Like, he, at one point, like, he just, he, he, he didn't, um, he, he didn't know how to put the bag on his back. And so Max had to, like, help him. Um, and then it started to pour. And, you know, all the other caddies are, like, keeping their player dry. And Max is like, Rudy, just like, <laughs> just keep my clubs dry. Like, you know, that's, uh, don't worry about me. Just make sure you can, you stay dry and you just keep my clubs dry. And he said that he like lost his towel um, while it was super wet. So he didn't have anything to wipe anything off with. And um, like he had, uh, he, he was wearing a, a hat or something that said like Jesus rocks or something on it. Um, like just like totally, it just got him from the airport. Like it, it just funny. So you just need to go listen to the, the pod. It's, it's, it's great. Um, all right. We're going to do some, uh, Oh, Romo missed a cut at this week's Byron Nelson. Not surprised. Romo football player, not a golfer. I didn't know Romo was playing in that tournament until today when he missed the cut. <laughs> so there you go. Good. It's a good thing. Romo's good at commentating football on TV. Ooh, we, I don't know, Jim. I don't know. Um, he did. He shot like what a seventy four today. That's really good. Yeah, he's really good golfer. But like, I mean, that just puts into perspective, right? Like a guy like Max Homa, you think, man, that guy, he's not good at golf. Like, yeah, he yeah, he went through some struggles. But like, even those guys on the Web dot com tour, like, could easily go to your home course and shoot like twelve under and around. You know, like whatever whatever course they're playing on this week must be ridiculously easy because I pulled up the PGA tour app and there's a guy I've never heard of. It's loading right now. He's I think he's a Korean guy. I've never heard of him. He shot a 10 under today. That's like a 62. Stupid. It's ridiculous. Stupid. So I mean here here's the funny thing is you know you you get for the most part the web.com tour is a lot easier to score. Like to, to win a web.com. So I, I went to the web.com tour event here in Sarasota um, in February, I guess it was. And the guy that won was 26 under. Um, That's he was crazy. 26, which is um, I just like insane. Like in the, for the most part, a PGA tour winner is like 15, right? Like 15 is about the average. 15 is a good so, score. Like US Open, sometimes it's like you get to three under, you win. There's been a couple of majors where the guy has been over par on one. So I get, for the most part, PGA Tour courses are harder, and it's more about managing your game and, and getting birdies when you can get birdies. Web.com's like a you fire at every pin. You got to birdie every hole if you're going to win. You know, so um, yeah, that's one thing that makes those those um, you know smaller tours fun. But um, but yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a little PGA Championship stuff next week. Make some picks. 
Um, so I know all of our listeners are just dying to hear our thoughts on who we're who's Hey, who we're one of us, to. one of us picked Francisco Molinari to win the Masters, and he almost did. And that same person picked Dustin Johnson to win the Masters, and he also almost did. And neither one of us picked Tiger, who actually won. So too bad that. we weren't playing. Too bad we weren't playing horseshoes. If so. we were playing horseshoes, I would have won that game. Oh man, I had second and third. But you didn't pick Tiger, so you didn't win. Yeah, I got. I picked Rory. How did I guarantee you? One of us will pick Tiger on the PGA next week. Tune in. One of us will pick Tiger. Whoever goes first. <laughs> Maybe both of us. Yeah, we might. Um, Tiger's gonna win. Tiger may indeed win. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk? Do you want to talk any baseball? Uh, your boy Glass now just went out of the game that we're watching. Got hurt. I'm not sure what happened because it's muted. But he was shoving before that. He's incredible. He is gross. Um, yeah, he's he's throwing a hundred mile an hour cutters up there with a wicked breaking ball. So I don't know if you um, you're watching the same game I am uh, than playing the Yankees tonight. But if you notice with Glass now, every single pitch, unless it's an O2 fastball, the catcher sets up right down the middle because they're like, listen, you are you might be the most talented baseball player. Well, this maybe side of Mike talented. Right. Most talented pitcher right now in the major leagues. And so we're just going to set up down the middle and you throw it as hard as you can every single pitch and it's going to work out. And you know what? It's worked out for him so if far. If you can so, throw a hundred mile an hour fastball that has any movement on it at all and you can throw it in the strike zone with consistency, that's all you need to throw. Like, don't get cute. Nobody's going to hit that if you know where it's going. If you don't walk everyone and... I asked you a couple days ago why the Pirates traded Glass now, and you said he just couldn't figure it out. Like, he'd come up to the big league. He'd dominate the AAA, and he'd come up to the big leagues, and he'd walk a bunch of people. If you're not doing that when you've got the stuff that he's got, big league hitters are really good. Nobody can hit a 100-mile-an-hour cutter. Nobody can if you know where it's going. Like, he's, he's right. disgusting. Yeah. And he just figured and it out in Tampa. It was – yeah, it, that's right. Like, we would bring him up, and not only would he walk a lot of guys, but he would throw like 92 or 93 miles an hour, 91 miles an hour. He just – he basically got – by my – I didn't talk to him about this, don't know him all that well. But from my vantage point, he sort of, you know, got, got caught up and got to put the ball certain places and um, was trying to place the ball and, and just mentally was – um, was having a tough time here. And a lot of times the change of scenery helps, right? Like he went to Tampa and it was sort of like, man, the expectations aren't here for me anymore. I've, you know, I haven't failed at all here. You know, I can just let it loose. And I'm sure Tampa, Tampa's really analytically driven. And so I don't know if they were, you know, a lot of part like, hey man, you've got stupid stuff. Just throw it as hard as you can. And whatever happens, happens. Um, you've got a job. Like I, I think part of him, he got sent up and sit down a couple times here. And it's like, man, if I pitch bad, I'm going to sit down again. Um, you know, like I said, he, not that he said any of these things, but like, that's what I would feel. Um, you know, so, uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see him figure it out. And Austin Meadows is crushing it too. Um, yeah, your boy, your boys lost that Chris Archer trade. I'm sorry. Yeah, Archer is going to have to win a couple Cy Youngs for that thing yeah. to turn out because those yeah. guys are those guys are stupid good. Yeah, uh, Tampa they um, got two All Stars. I got a I got a like pitching I don't know philosophy question for you. So you ready for right. this? I did not tell yeah, you about this. So um, early in the season, the Braves bullpen was trash. Like they were awful. The Braves bullpen was bad last year. They brought back basically the same guys this year. They were even worse this year, which that's another side argument about why the Braves didn't literally sign anybody. 
Um, but Jesse Biddle specifically was, I mean, he was pretty good last year. He's the lefty. Uh, I think he was a first round pick as a starting pitcher. He kind of flamed out, couldn't quite figure it out as a starter, got moved to the bullpen. He was pretty good last year. This year, he would come into the game and he literally couldn't throw a strike. I mean, it was like, it was painful to watch. He, I think three consecutive outings, he walked the bases loaded and then walked in a run and then would get pulled. And it was really tough to watch. And Eric O'Flaherty is a former Braves reliever who was, he was in the bullpen with Craig Kimbrell and Johnny Venders like seven or eight years ago. He was very good. And he's a really good follow on Twitter too. And someone asked Eric O'Flaherty on Twitter after one of Biddle's meltdowns where he walked five or six guys in a row, they were like, this is a major league pitcher. Like, why can he not, can't you just throw strikes? Like, you've made it to the major leagues. Like, clearly you've got enough talent to throw strikes. What is happening? And O'Flaherty basically said, yeah, like anybody in the major leagues can throw strikes if they want to. The problem is when you're in the major leagues, if you throw strikes, you have to be confident in your stuff. You have to be confident enough to trust that if you throw it in the strike zone, somebody's not going to hit a home run. And basically what O'Flaherty was saying, what he was implying is that when guys are in ruts like that walking the ballpark, it's because they don't believe that they have good enough stuff to get people out. So they're nibbling there, you know, on the corner here, on the corner there, throwing a lot of breaking balls, throwing their secondary stuff because they don't feel like they can get major league hitters out. What As a pitcher, sure. I, that was surprising to me because I, I've never – thought that like when if you're a pitcher and you throw 12 consecutive balls like I just assume that you're trying to throw a strike you just can't and O'Flaherty is kind of saying that's not necessarily the case like what what's your perspective as a pitcher yeah I I think I think for this I can only speak to what I've encountered and I mean I haven't I haven't played in the major leagues obviously but I have played at a high enough level to where I I know exactly what you're talking about and exactly what O'Flaherty's talking about so I think there's there's two schools of thought, actually three schools of thought. Of thought whenever you got a guy coming in that that can't throw a strike and, and is just walking the house. Um, first thing you, you got to ask is um, it is mentally that does this guy you know have the ifs? Like that's that's the first thing and 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 it's a real thing. You guys get it where it's just like it's hard for them to throw a strike and the ball feels like it weighs a hundred pounds or it feels like it weighs half an ounce. Like it's um, you know, just, just hard for guys to throw the ball and it go where they want it to go. Um, the second thing you got to think about is are guys just a tick off either late or early or something in their motion that's prohibiting them from throwing a strike. Um, and then they get in their own head about it. Like there's, there's times where I feel so off where I can't throw the ball where I want to. And so like the first guy I'll walk on four pitches and then like mentally it's hard not to go to the spot of like, Oh no, like, man, I, I got to throw a strike. Like I, I can't walk the next guy. I can't walk like in, and once you get into the mindset of like, I can't walk in the next guy, then like, that's exactly what you're going to do. You know, if, if you're on the defense like that and especially with him, like if you said he did that in three consecutive outings, I didn't see it, but for the most part, I'm sure he walked the bases loaded and then walked in a run, and the next time he walked the first guy, and what was going through his mind is like, I'm embarrassed, and like I, oh no, this is happening again. You know, like this before it even happened, he knew in his head it was happening again. Um, but then, like like you were saying, I know Flaherty was saying, um, and and this may be what was going on too. 
Um, like last year when I would when I went up to AAA, I gave up in my first start six earned runs in the first inning and didn't make it out of the first. And basically every fastball I threw over the heart of the plate, those guys crushed it in AAA. Like they, I mean, faced a lot of guys that had MLB service time, a lot of top prospects, and um, fastballs over the heart of the plate, breaking balls over the heart of the plate. Like they were tattooing them, and so then. After I was had so much scar tissue in my mind from that outing and no confidence from that outing that in outings after that, like I was scared to death to miss over the middle of the plate. So like an O like a one O fastball that I wanted to throw to the outside corner, I was a lot more likely to cut it off and miss out, you know, like off the plate than I was to throw it right down the middle because like if I've got confidence, I'm not thinking about anything except for driving that pitch to the catcher's mitt like as hard as I can. But when I'm worried about not leaving it over the heart of the plate, like I'm either going to cut it off because it's like, man, if you're trying to hit a golf shot and you don't want to hit it into the water, you're either going to hit it into the water or you're going to pull it way left. Like you're not going to hit it right where you want to hit it. Um, and that's the same thing with pitching. If you're worried about you know, leaving a breaking ball in the middle of the plate and you're either going to leave it in the middle of the plate or it's going to be a terrible breaking ball. You're not going to throw the one you want to throw. Um, and so, like I said, I didn't see this guy throw and have those bad outings, but uh, that's definitely possible. And in the big leagues, you've got so many eyes on you and so much pressure of, man, if I don't figure this out, I'm going to get sent down. Um, you know, it's, and there's so many people watching you where you feel embarrassed um, because like exactly what would that whatever um you know somebody was saying about like how can you be in the big leagues and not throw a strike like the pitcher can feel that people are saying that and that like that makes him even more um you know self-conscious about it and like that comes with the territory you just got to deal with it but like it's it's a it's a real thing it's like it's such a slippery slope like i would imagine i I've obviously have not pitched nearly at the as a high a level as you have. Um, but even like in high school, I remember when I would pitch, it's like if you throw three balls and get to three oh, I was terrible three oh. Like I don't think I ever came back from three oh. I walked every single person I ever went three oh on because I was you know, it's just a mental thing. You're like, Oh, I threw three balls in a row. Like I better throw this one right down the middle and inevitably you don't. And it's, I mean, I guess there's a, it's just a human psychology thing. Like in any, like you were talking about in golf, if you've got water out to the right and the green is in the center and then left is, you know, whatever trees, you might say to yourself, well, I want to hit this ball on the green, but I'm definitely not hitting it in the water. And you're not going to hit it on the green. You're going to hit it over left in those trees. So I, right. it was an interesting statement for O'Flaherty to make because I guess as an outsider, you just don't think about it like that. Like you don't think that a guy could just throw a ball in the strike zone if you wanted to, but there's well you you have a you have a such a advantage point as an outsider of seeing players as robots without mental, um, like with without anything any mental capacity at all. It's right? got to like, be a lonely feeling being out there on the mound too. Like if you walk a couple of guys, you're out there by yourself. You know, there's no one. It's not like football or basketball or soccer where your teammates are all like right near you. Like you're in the middle of the diamond, standing on an elevated platform, literally by yourself. Well, it's it's like it's not as much as the um, isolation of it all. It's more the fact that like if if, if you come up as a as a hitter and um, and you know bases loaded, one out, and you strike out. 
um, you know, honestly, you're going to have another at bat probably. And if you don't have another at bat, it's, and you don't have another at bat like right next, right after it. Like let's say you you have bases loaded, one out, and you face Glass now, and he punches your ticket in three pitches. Like you you are so defeated at that point, but you got three innings to sit there and think about it. Like it's think about if you had to like get right back in the box right after that, um, and you know face him. I mean, it would be like uh, your confidence would be at all time low. You know, I mean, it'd be so easy to go to the spot like, man, I'm going to strike out twice now. Like as a pitcher, it's like, man, I'm going to walk another guy home. You know, it's um, you, you, there's no break from it. And then once you do, if you do have a bad outing, you get taken out of the game. It's not like you get another at bat in three innings, right? Like, or it's not like you get another jump shot in a couple of possessions um, or another pass thrown to you in another, in the separate quarter. Like you got to wait multiple days to, to sort of right that wrong. It's sort of like an all or nothing deal, which, which can be rewarding, but also tough at times. It's a snowball effect. Like you just, the most, as, as an outsider, as a fan, the most frustrating pitcher to watch for me is Sean Newcomb, the Braves lefty, because he's so nasty. Like he's got 95 miles an hour with natural cut. He's got one of the best left-handed curveballs I've ever seen. He's got a good changeup when he throws it. But Newcomb, like if he, if he loses a curveball high, like if he, you know, leaves one high and arm side, he's not throwing another good one the rest of the inning. Like it just, he throws one bad one and then another bad one, and then he jerks the fastball in the dirt and then he throws the fastball high, and then it's just, it keeps going. There's no break because you throw a bad pitch, you've got to throw another pitch right now. Like you can't, you can't go sit down and think about it. You can't take the next possession off. You can't pass to a teammate. You've got to throw a good pitch right now. And if you throw up another bad pitch, then that's two bad pitches in a row, and now you've got to throw a good one right now. And it's right. it, it's just it's difficult for people who are just watching the game on TV to realize what that must be like to to be the person that has to do that. And you know, it's it's immediate. Yeah. There's no there's no time to collect yourself. Right. Like, and I, I'd say like the biggest thing is is just to to take away that that. Like try to try to see all the emotions that's going through an athlete's head. Like the Barcelona, you know, the Barcelona and the Ajax defenders and team and players are like, oh no, like we we may give this up. Like and that played a role. Like that we talk about like how did that happen? Like that 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 played a role. Um, no doubt. And 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 then you you go back and think about like how is you know, how, man, that shooter's 0 for 8 from three-point line. Like, it's not like a video game where he's just going to make a percentage of the shots and you're just going to keep jacking them up. And um, if he's open, he's going to, you know, make, you know, four out of eight jumpers. Like, man, he's going to – if he's if he goes 0 from 6 from the field, like he's going to start thinking, like, man, I, my, my confidence is getting shot. You know, like same thing with a golfer. If he can't get off the tee for the first eight holes, probably not going to get off the tee on the ninth hole. You know I mean? It's just one of those things where, like, your ability a lot of time is hampered by your mental game, which is one reason why guys like Tom Brady, guys like Tiger Woods, like, they are as successful as they are because they've mastered sort of their mental um, philosophy. And, like, those guys are so confident and so cocky that, like, those are the guys that are going to perform well. Like, it, you have to have a certain arrogance about you, and if you've got any doubt – then you know you're going to struggle, and that doesn't mean you got to walk around cocky. You get, you can have a completely different personality on the mound or on the court than you do in real life. But 
you got to know when you step onto the court or on the mound or on the course that like you're going to win the thing, right? And like truly believe that. And if not, you're going to leave yourself open to you know failures because you're gonna you're gonna stuff's gonna happen and you know your outing or your um you know your round on the course or whatever isn't gonna go great so how are you gonna how are you gonna rebound from it i've really i've said this on the podcast before i'll say it again i really enjoy the effectively wild baseball podcast from Fangraphs, and it's sam miller and ben Lindbergh are two really good writers and they're really um, they're analytically inclined, so they, they see the game from that perspective. Like, they're writers and they're statisticians, and that's how they view the game. And there's a lot of value to be had through that analysis. But one thing that they'll say from time to time is, like, you're talking about the confidence. Like, people say, say there's, a like, a take on the Internet of, like, so-and-so is, like, mentally soft or, like, they, they're in their own head or whatever. Like, a guy's 0 for his last 15. Like, he's in a slump. Well, what, what Ben or Sam on Effectively Wild will say is, well, yeah, but he's, you know, he's a 900 OPS guy. Like, he might be over his last 15, but he's going to end up with a 900 OPS because everyone in the major leagues is supremely confident because you have to be to get there. And while that's true, when everyone in a room is an alpha, is supremely confident in their own abilities, eventually the people in that room are going to kind of stratify themselves where you're going to figure out where you sit in that hierarchy. And well, if you have 15 consecutive failures, you're going to start thinking less of yourself. Even if you're super confident and know how good you are, you might think, wow, I'm, I mean, I know I'm good, but these pitchers must just be better than me. Like maybe I'm not good enough. And we think about uh, specifically baseball players as like being what they are, what the back of their baseball card says they are. And they are, but, you know, if you're the player yourself and you're in that moment, you don't always know that. Like you might know that, well, but it's, it might be not in the front of your mind. It's like to sort of just expand on what you're saying. It's you may not think like, man, I'm I'm not good, but you may think like, man, am I going to get sent down? Or like, man, is this going to hurt me on my next contract? Um, you know, or, or man, am I going to am I going to lose my starting job? It, that's am I, man, am I going to get sent back to the web.com tour? Like it's it's you may not be doubting your ability and your confidence in yourself but like it's sort of like you start failure starts creeping in your mind you know or, or things out of your control start creeping in your mind uh, well this was the um sports psychology section of the podcast and from now on everyone who's who's listening to this podcast you'll see professional athletes in a different light so you're if you made it to um, minute 102 of this podcast. You learned something today, so good for you. Yeah, you're welcome. Be better. Be um, a better fan. Stop telling pitchers right. to throw strikes. It's not that easy. Yeah, exactly. Please. please. <laughs> if you're at the game and you yell, throw a strike. <laughs> Just leave. Oh, my god. Go to the car. Yes. Go go to the to the Nashville soccer club game and yell that You can stuff. sit next to me in a really good seat for <laughs> under $10. And chant high school football chants. If you want um, to, or just sit next to the other guys who are chanting because there's only five of them. So we, we haven't said this until now, but, but this is going to happen. Um, right now, we, we are bringing back the conspiracy closet. And I, I, we are, we're late in the pod, and, and we should have said this in the beginning because I know this is everybody's favorite segment. Oh, it'll be in the um, info. It'll be in the, in the tagline of the podcast. Yes. You, you listen to this because there. we told you that this was coming. This was worth the wait. 
Right. So you, Sam, you brought this to the floor. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. You you go ahead and, and present the conspiracy to the audience. Okay. So there's a little little inside baseball for the listener. I was ready to pod about a half hour earlier than my good friend Austin was. So I had some time to kill. So I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, we haven't done a conspiracy closet in a little while. Like it's been since I think the Yeti was the last one we did, which was the best piece of podcast we've ever put out. I mean, let's be honest. So it was I'm, incredible. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to find a conspiracy to talk about. So I, you know, naturally, what do you do? You Google conspiracies and you get the regular stuff. Like, you know, Bush did 9-11. Fine. We might talk about that one day. Uh, but it's not, you know, really up our alley. You know, we faked the moon landing. Okay, maybe. That seems like it's going to take a lot of research to prove. Then I found this jewel on Reddit. Okay, so what this Reddit poster has, has posited, and I don't know if he came up with it, but this is where I found it. Are you? Uh, let me preface this before I say anything. Um, if you love the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one from 1971, if you love that movie, and I do, and you don't want that movie to be ruined, turn the podcast off right now because this movie is over for you if you listen to the next few minutes of this podcast. So uh, that being said... Spoilers. We're talking about spoilers. There will be spoilers. There will be... You will not view (laughs) Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in the same way ever again. So if you hold that movie dear and you don't want it ruined, turn off the podcast. All right. But in in, in another sense, if you don't like this movie and want it to be ruined, keep listening to this podcast. Okay. Preface done. If you're still here, you really want to hear what this is. So... The conspiracy is not really a conspiracy. It's like a fan theory about the pod, about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So this theory, the Cliff's Notes version, and we can go as deep as you want to. I, I went rabbit hole on this one. I got a lot of details. The basic uh, basics of it is that Willy Wonka, the man, was a candy mogul, right? He was a, a chocolatier. He was, he was the, 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 the Joe Hershey's of this fictional world. I don't know what Hershey's first name was. He's the candy guy, right? And then <laughs> Joe Hershey's. I don't know what Hershey's first. Could he be was. Herschel Hershey's? Sure, Herschel Hershey's. He's the Herschel Hershey's in fictional Willy Wonka land. And then his employees sell all his secret recipes to his competitors. That's that's canon. That's in the movie. That's what happens. And then he fires everybody, shuts the factory down because he's so distraught. This theory says that during that period where his factory was shut down. He basically becomes a psychopath. Like he, he's a genius, and he's had this thing that he's so good at taken away from him, and it just like, it like caves in on him, and he like basically has a psychotic break. And his response to that is, "I want to cause as much pain to the world as possible because they've caused all this pain to me." So he comes up with the golden ticket scheme to get children into his factory to murder them systematically, and then he does. He murders them systematically. He set up elaborate plans specific to each child to murder that child and their parent they brought with them. He was five for he was gonna be five for five. Charlie and Grandpa Joe managed to get out of it. But he killed four children. That's what that's the basis of it. Is he brought five kids in and he definitely killed four of them. Like those four kids are dead. Like it doesn't say that in the movie but they're definitely dead. And if you watch them, like if you think about the movie through this lens, now Willy Wonka is a complete psychopath. Like the, the scene where they're on the boat going through the tunnel, like he's intentionally terrifying all these people on purpose. He's trying to terrify them because he finds it amusing. 
Like, that's the point. Like, I did, that's not a theory. That's in the movie. That happens. That happens. So that is my conspiracy closet that I'm bringing forth for discussion today. Willy Wonka was a psychopath who murdered at least four kids. We can talk about what may or may not have happened to Charlie and Grandpa Joe in the weird elevator that shoots to the moon. How are they going to survive that? I don't really know. I think he kind of killed all five of those kids and their family and himself. But he definitely killed four of them. What is your thoughts when you saw this for the first time? Okay, so I just want to clarify your take on this whole thing. Okay. I, that's not my take. I'm just giving you the theory. That, no, that, I know, I know. That's the I theory. Know. I know, that's, that's the theory. And, and, and I have a distinct vantage point from all of this because it's, it's, it's correlated to children's version of Saul. Right, that's, right. that's the thing. Basically, I think that what they're saying is like the people that made Saw got the idea from Willy Wonka. And I haven't seen, you know, the whole Saw. I don't particularly enjoy horror movies, but that, yeah, that's the idea. They're making an It too. I watched that because I did watch It, but it Saw, a little bit too much for me. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen bits and pieces of some Saw movies. Yeah, I got but the, I, got I know the, the basic, the basic premise is, right, is he, he, um, creates a game right and does one person get out or does everybody die i don't know um, I, I think one person gets out but that i think right. that's why the the people have drawn the correlation because one person survives but i don't know if that's true okay so here's 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 my thoughts and, and i'll just bring these to the table you've done a lot more research so i'm gonna bring these to the table leave them for you and, and then you can you can go down your rabbit hole and, and tell me where you're at okay okay um so, so for me, just hearing this and, and, and seeing sort of the correlation between this and the Saw movies and, um, you know, this conspiracy, I think the, the, the first piece of evidence that we have to look at is the fictional aspect of this movie. And, and I'm not just saying, like, yes, obviously this didn't happen, but this is in a different world. Like, this is, there's Oompa Loompas. It's um, a different universe. It's not It's, in it's this a different universe. universe. It's a different universe. It's, you know, weird, there's weird-looking people. There's, um, you know... A, you can a, shrink a person to microscopic size. Right. Like, it's, it's very much not real. It, it's, it's very much stretching reality, okay? It's very much make-believe. And so, while the premise is there that all of these people, all of these kids went through events that would cause them to become deceased in this universe, in this in the universe that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory happened, this may not be the case. Like it's I, I understand what you're saying of like, okay, this is a, you know, deranged person who murdered these kids, but at the same time, like maybe they went through events that wouldn't kill them in this land. Okay. I hear what you're saying. I respect it, okay? Because it is not, like, some movies clearly happen in the realm of reality. Like, they could plausibly happen. Like, the Saw movies happen in the realm of, like, man, this is a real-life scenario. Obviously, this didn't happen, but, like... It could happen. This is based in now. Like, it could happen. And then you have other movies like, like Harry Potter, where it's looks like the real world, but there are aspects that are different that couldn't happen in the real world. Like magic in that sense is not real, right? So I hear what you're saying. Now, my response to that is while this is a different reality, 
based on all evidence from the movie, there are differences in this reality, but the basic laws of physics and nature are not different. So this isn't Looney Tunes. Like, it's not Space Jam when at the end, spoiler alert, Michael Jordan is able to dunk from half court with four monsters holding him down because it's Looney Tune land and you can do whatever you want. They killed Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> he died on the court with some honor. That's not, like, this isn't Looney Tune land, right? It's still planet Earth. Like, it's a different universe, but the physical laws that are governing the way these beings interact with each other are not different. Are so, they? Are they? I don't think so. Because... Like, the one that stands out in my head as being, okay, so the things that are different, I guess, is the first thing is the Oompa Loompas. The Oompa Loompas are a different race. Like, they're not, it's intimated that they're not humans, right? But they are. Like, they're, I mean, can we say midgets on the podcast? They're just midgets, right? And they, they're they orange and they have green hair, but that's that's what those people are. They're still humans. They're not actually a different race. The the other one is when the, the little kid from Texas gets shrunk down to microscopic size. That can't happen in real life. But in 1971, it's supposed to be a scientific advancement. Like It's supposed to be a thing that could theoretically, like there might be a scientific breakthrough where you can shrink people. Like you, It's not out of outside of the realm of possibility. They're not saying Willy Wonka magically made that guy, that kid, microscopic. They're saying he invented something that did that. So that would be... And that, that would be the same thing with the, the flying, right? He invented that. He invented the um, fizzy lifting drink. drink that when you drink it, it like produces gas inside your body that makes you lighter than air, and then you float, right? So I, I guess what, as part of my rebuttal, what I'm saying is that I hear you that it's not a regular, it's not the actual universe, but the things inside the universe are theoretically scientifically possible so for instance when the german kid the fat kid drinks the the chocolate river and falls in the river first of all go back and watch it when he falls in the river willy wonka completely not concerned about this kid falling in this river (laughs) the only thing he's concerned about is him getting the chocolate dirty like that's it doesn't care if this kid drowns and dies in front of everyone don't get my chocolate dirty he ends up in the tube right that's sucking him up like i don't know to where i think they say to the fudge room for an amount of pressure that could suck a child that size through a tube that big, the amount of pressure that it would take to get the kid through the tube would basically, like, pull him apart limb from limb. Like, he would be dead. At the very least, he's been underwater for a matter of minutes, and then he's in this vacuum-packed tube where there's obviously no air in there. He's turning red. He can't breathe. At the very least, he's going to be a vegetable. Like, he can't. He's gone long enough without oxygen. He's not going to be able to live anymore. Right. So like that, it's a different universe, but that kid's still dead in the universe. Like they're not saying you can go without breathing for 10 minutes like you could in Looney Tune land. Right. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, like you got to think of scenarios as a entertainment sense. Um, like you if if let's say that kid fell into the chocolate river. Right. Like in in everyday life, some, the people would freak out. You know, in a real factory, there would be somebody that dove in and saved that kid. Like, there, everybody would be all worried about him. Like, but at the same time, this is a movie that's supposed to be entertaining, right? And so, you don't, you don't act the same way in a fictional sense that you would in 
an actual sense. And so this plot of the movie is that each one of these kids is being dismissed from this program because they are for selfish or have, have faults or flaws or, you know, for one way or the other. Um, and for that circumstance, if Willy Wonka wanted this kid, he had, he had to be exposed and taken out of the picture or else at the end, Charlie was never going to be given the factory. Right. He, he was in hopes that one person at the end would be good and would be right. And he could gift the factory to somebody, but, for that to happen, these people had to be ex- exited. Like it, it wouldn't have been as entertaining if he fell in the river and he was like, "Oh, let's save him." And sorry, you got to go home because you, you know, obviously were weren't the right person for this. Like that, it just wouldn't have the same effect on on, on the movie. Is, does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. So that's the plot of the movie: is Willy Wonka wants to retire and give his factory to someone, so he's. He's got these five five children, and he wants which is the, a it's a terrible retirement strategy. By the it's way, it's not a good retirement strategy at all. Like you just sell your company, you you have an IPO, you sell it to the public, and you let someone who actually knows what they're doing with a little bit of business sense run your factory. That's beside the point. the The premise of the movie, like you said, is so he can find someone decent to run his factory. The point of the conspiracy theory, on top of that, is like this movie is trying to sell itself as a plausible scenario. It's not necessarily happening in our universe governed by the, the laws that govern 1971 on planet earth, but it's technically a plausible scenario. Like this could in theory happen. So the conspiracy theory is saying, okay, well let's just take that a step farther. Like if that's what you're saying, then let's see what actually happened to these kids. He brought these kids in, Four of the five of them, and you could argue Charlie as well, had tragic flaws. Like the German kid was gluttonous. The the girl that turns into a blueberry was super greedy. Like even Charlie, you could say that he was envious of what the other kids had. Like they all had something that was a character flaw, right? And their character flaw is what finds them out in the end and costs them the chance to get this factory. Well, when you say that, what you're saying is their character flaw killed them. Like the German kid was greedy. So he tried to drink the chocolate river. So he got sucked through the tube and died. Like the, the little girl who wanted everything given to her, wanted her daddy to buy her everything. She wanted things that she didn't earn. She wanted everything to be given to her. I think she was slothful, lazy, whatever. And she was a bad egg in the little egg dispenser and she fell hundreds of feet to her death. Like, so what the movie is saying is she fell out of the movie and she fell out of getting to get the factory. But if this is a scenario, she fell into the furnace and assuming she'd survived the fall, the furnace furnace gets lit every other day and there's a 50, 50 chance she gets burned to death. Even if she didn't get burned to death, she definitely died from that fall. Like you can hear her falling. She fell for a long time. And there's like golden eggs down there. Like that's metal. She's going to die, you know? So that's the quote unquote, the fun of the theory is (laughs) it's not fun at all. Like he's killing these children. And another layer to that is that not only is he killing these children, he's doing it intentionally. The German kid falls in the river and gets sucked through the tube. The next scene, what's the next scene? The next scene is the weird tunnel boat ride. Did you realize that 
on the boat in the tunnel, there are eight seats plus Willy Wonka. That means four kids, four adults. They start out with five kids and five adults. How did he know there was going to be one kid and one adult missing? Because there's only eight Maybe seats in the boat. they had another boat that was docked. It seems unlikely in a factory. <laughs> then at the end where they go through the weird car wash thing, there's only four seats in that little car wash thing in the Wonka mobile because only grandpa Joe and Charlie and the little kid from Texas and his mom are the only ones left. And Willy Wonka knew they were going to be the only ones left at the end because he knew he was going to have murdered everyone else by then. Well, it's a riveting theory. Um, and I, I have to say, I, I hear where you're coming from and I, and I understand it. Um, I, I, I think it's got the the same storylines as like a, as a um, as a contest plot, like it 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 as a battle royale plot, if you will. Yeah, it's like Survivor. Um, you know, right? It's 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 got the same, and th- and that's entertaining. Is like once you realize the first guy and the second person got plucked off, you start. It's entertaining. Think like, who's next? Who's going? Who's going to be the next person to make a mistake? Who's going to be the next person to be selfish? But the people in um, the in the game show though don't know they're in a game show though. Is the second layer to it, which is part of the reason it's such a great movie. Like the kids don't know that that's what's happening. Right, but at the same time, like the audience, like you realize one by one they're starting to get kicked out. Like you you can you can understand that from an audience standpoint, and so like that that it's it's. That, that's what they're trying to do is get the audience engaged here. And so um, I, I just think they were trying to think of creative ways um, where they can use these characters' character flaws to export them out of the factory um, and end up with Charlie and Grandpa Joe um, and Herschel Hershey. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, that that's all it was. And so you, you've got a survivor instinct to it. Um, and they were just, they were trying to, um, you know, think of good ways to get them out, um, and and funny ways, and and ways that would sort of um, really expound on their on their character. Um, you know, I I, I what it it had to be in a way that they weren't just shown the door. Okay, like it, it had to be in a way where they were like it was their own fault that they weren't there anymore. Like it was the fat kid's fault. That he was got sucked up the cube, the 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 tube because and it, and it was uh, the other girl's fault. She fell right, like because they were chasing something. Okay, um, it, it's not like Willie Walker didn't have anything directly to do with these people leaving the movie, and that's just the way it had to be. Um, it's like it couldn't be okay. He fell in the river. You got to go, you know, because he couldn't tell them that they were in this sort of deal. So I think that's why they did it. That's the beauty of the crime is that it's 50 years later and we're still talking about whether Willy Wonka murdered these children on purpose. It's the perfect crime. Also, by the way, Herschel Hershey was not involved with this. Herschel Hershey is the one that was stealing (laughs) all of Willy Wonka's secrets from the beginning, which is what sent him down the spiraling path to become a psychopath. I... (laughs) I hear what you're saying. Like, it's a movie, and it's a clever movie, and it's a clever way to teach kids, like, don't be greedy, don't be lazy, you know, don't be prideful. I get it. I understand it. I think it's interesting to talk about, like, the next level of that. Like, if you're saying this, this is what you're actually saying. In 2019, like, you you caught, you gave a girl a piece of gum that made all her blood vessels explode, so her body filled up with blood, and she t- swelled up like a balloon. Like, have you ever... 
if you ever put a rubber band around your thumb and like what happens to your thumb? Like it swells up and it turns purple. That's what happened to Violet. She swelled up and turned purple. All her blood is out. Like she's no, going to die. No, she, sw- she swelled up and turned violet. Right, whatever. She died is the point. <laughs> right. All listen, right. Listen, <laughs> listen, I, I, I've I been trying to play devil's advocate. Like it's creepy. It is a it's, hilarious. It's a creepy, very similar scenario. It, um, so people got mad when Johnny Depp made his new version in like you know 2007 or whenever it was. They said it was too creepy. I think Johnny Depp knew what the deal was. Like this is a creepy movie from the jump. 1971 Gene Wilder is a creepy movie. They just like put some happy music over it and didn't make him wear black, but it's creepy. Yeah, it's a, it's up there with Alice in Wonderland. It's super creepy. Also, Johnny Depp. Before we finish, before we wrap up, <laughs> indulge me for a second, all right? Come over to the dark side of the, the Willy Wonka was a serial killer theory. All right. So assume, like, change your your thought process to he's a serial killer. How do you okay, interpret in this theory? My only problem with it is the ending. How do you interpret the ending when he gives Charlie the factory and then they him and Charlie and Grandpa Joe get in the elevator and they rocket ship out of the building. What is, is he killing himself and Grandpa Joe and Charlie, or was he actually showing Charlie all the things that he had now? And now Charlie is like the protege of like, I survived this awful thing. And now I'm the next chocolatier psychopath because that's the one that I've like, I can't quite make that one fit. Sure. Um, well, if we're going to dive into this, we're going to say that Willy Wonka is a crazy person. Absolutely. I think, and, I think that's, un, that's unimpeachable. He's a crazy person. Like, it's just a right. level of crazy at this point. E- even, even if this movie is written exactly the way it's written with no secret motives, he's a crazy person. Yeah, in the movie, so, he's a crazy person. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, under that circumstance and under the theory that he killed the rest of those kids – he killed him and Charlie and Uncle jo- and Grandpa Joe whenever they took the rocket ship because that's what a crazy person would do. <laughs> I agree with you, I think, because if that is the case and he was intentionally just trying to kill these children, then he thought Grandpa Joe and Charlie were going to die at the fizzy lifting room with the fan. Like, he thought they were going to get chopped to pieces. So when they didn't get chopped to pieces, now he had, the, like, nuclear option, let's blow it up. I think you're probably right. I think you're right. I think this is going to inspire some voicemails. So if you've listened to this and you have any thoughts on um, Willy Wonka being a serial killer, call us. Let us know. What's the phone number? Austin Cole, you got that handy? Uh, talk for a minute while I, uh, while I pull it up. So uh, Gene Wilder, great actor, also a psychopath. Um, Johnny Depp, clearly a psychopath, really tapped into it a little bit more in the new remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. People didn't like it. I think it says a lot about our culture that we want our darkness, we want our depth of meaning, we want our tragedies to be in our fiction. We just don't want it up front in our face. We can't handle it when it is on the front page. We want it to be underlying, underneath, implied. Don't put Willy Wonka in a black trench coat. Let me mm. think it in the back of my head. Wow. That, that man... That that needs to be transported to the to the, the start of the podcast. That sentence right there. Um, all right. So the number to call for the voicemail about Charlie and the Ch- Chocolate Factory or anything we talked about in this show. This two hours and six minutes, seven minutes. 
call 615-669-2623. We will put that number in the uh, pod notes as well. So give us a call. Talk to us about, man, anything, anything at all. Uh, We'd love to do another voicemail pod. So, um, yeah, hit us up. Thank you for hanging with us for... And over almost two hours and ten minutes, Sam. You have anything else you want to add? I think I've said we said we started this podcast by saying there wasn't anything going on, and then we talked for two hours. So no, I'm out of I'm out of juice. Yeah, as am I. Love it. Um, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Informal US. Um, I'm Sam. I'm, I'm not Sam. I'm, <laughs> I'm Sam. So there you go. That's that's time to go. It's been a All long right. time. Peace. <laughs>